power on. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Woo! Coming in hotter than Ted Stryker behind the controls of the airplane, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we just watched that. We yeah. just watched Airplane from just 1980. A few ago. Considered by the American Film Institute one of the, uh, it's in the top 10 funniest movies of all time. Uh, of course, we're actually, we're going to end off. We got to talk about this. We got to talk about the movie Tesla at the end. We got lots of science and tech news to get into, folks, and we'll get into that. But as you just noticed, I am being joined by none other than, uh, dare I say, if not the one of the most brilliant women on the planet. Ellen Sovereign, welcome to Sovereign Tech, of course. You're too kind. Thank well, you for having me on. I, I mean, it's not like I'm in love with you. Or, oh, wait, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep flattering me. It will get you anywhere. Uh, oh, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you are being joined by the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star. Uh, yeah, what did you think Airplane? Before we get into all the hotness here. Uh, well, it, it was very funny. You you described it at the beginning as slapstick, and I, I would say that's true. There's a lot of slapstick. There's a lot of play on words. Um, there's a lot of, like, obscene moments that yes. are just meant to shock you. And that would never get put into a film today. I mean, not even chance. Like, there, there's some really, <laughs> there's some very odd things in that. But anyway, go, go ahead. Yeah, I thought it was funny. I mean, I, I'd like to know what else is on this list. Um, yeah. I wonder if it's changed since it was originally published. Maybe I should look this up. I, I should look up what, what this what this list is and, and we'll we'll get it. We can into do that. an update later on in the show. Yeah. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. But now, you know, before all right, before we get into the news that's going on. Actually, no, no, no. Let's open up with some news. Did you hear about this just a few days ago? Uh uh an LAX, a pilot. Speaking of airplane, this is perfect. What a great segue. Didn't really plan on this. But I, I mean, literally, this was just a few days ago. But uh, but at, at LAX, a pilot was or a plane was taking off, you know, pilot in a Boeing, the, you know, the whole thing, just passenger plane, everybody's getting out of there. Uh, and he looks to the left and he calls into the control and says, hey, there's a guy in a jetpack flying by. What? Yeah, I'm not kidding. This this is to this is absolutely true. The FBI is involved in everything, and they don't know what the fuck's going on. Holy 
Holy crap. Yeah. No, yeah. I didn't hear about this. Yeah. Um, let's see. So uh, actually here, I, I, I brought up a quick story on it. Um, this is from Fox 11. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's not like Fox news news, you know, <laughs> it's an actual like news because <laughs> if it was Fox news, I'd be wondering, no, I'm kidding. Uh, anyway, so, so from Fox 11 here, let's see. Uh, they, they were the first one to break the news. Two commercial pilots spotted a man flying with a jet pack about 300 yards from them, 3000 feet in the air on final approach into, okay. So they were landing in LAX. Uh, this was on, uh, just this past Sunday, I think, um, four days ago. So, or no, so this couldn't be this past Sunday. This was last, last Sunday. I'm totally baffled by this. Yeah. Story's gone crazy. Um, now there's theories that the, I mean, it's a mystery. It's an absolute mystery. But, yeah, I didn't even think that anyone had that sort of technology to have a jet pack that jet pack that flies that high in the air. Yeah, so I mean, there are, like jet packs have actually come a good ways. Of course, it's flaw. I mean, I remember watching like television specials, actually of all things, probably on Fox, not Fox Eleven, but you know, on Fox on the the, the network. Um, you know, it was on maybe before Married with Children on a Sunday night or something. Um, but I remember watching specials where they were on whatever show they would show off somebody, you know, flying around on a jetpack. Of course, the the issue always is is fuel, right? Of course, yeah. How do you make that practical? You know, uh, you know, for a load, you need a lot of thrust to carry a single person. Exactly, but speed and going higher not really the issue. Again, the issue is just having the fuel to really do it. Now, I know in recent years, and I mean we're talking like 2018 in just the past couple of years, I know there have been a lot of interesting developments and in like Red Bull has like their shows where they show really extreme shit and you'll have, um, in fact, I remember there was like a, 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 I think she might even be the first female, I guess, jet woman, you would call her, uh, that were, where she was going around on a jet pack or whatever. So, I mean, there have been advancements in jet packs, but again, you know, you can only go so far. Also, who has access to jetpacks? Is this military technology or is it privately owned by certain companies? Largely private, though. I'm sure there's a lot of military money flowing into these sorts of things. Um, that It'd be an interesting, actually, this, this would be a great. Nuts. I know. This nuts. Th- it be- makes me think of like time traveler stories or like. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know, like uh, crypto terrestrials or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 and I know we haven't watched this movie yet, but we'll get to it. I've got the Blu-ray waiting. Um I mean, when, when I first saw this story, whatever, a little over a week ago, I shared it in the Sovereign Tech Telegram group, which folks, if you want to join that great conversations, links in the show notes for it. Uh, I shared it right in there. And I said, it was like, I think Cliff Secord, uh, <laughs> I think somebody got Cliff Secord's equipment, which of course that's a reference to the Rocketeer, which is a great comic book and movie. Um, yeah, this is, this is, this is a real mystery. And, you know, similar, ironically, because la- not I don't know if it was the last time you were on or if it was a pre- the previous episode that you were on to that. So I guess maybe it was like six episodes ago. Remember, we were talking about how you had um, UAPs, right? Right. Uh, unidentified aerial phenomena mm-hmm. that and we were talking about how, look, no, we have military pilots who are saying, hey, we can't explain what the fuck we're seeing out of our window. But they did see it was a man on a jetpack. Yes. Yeah, and and so his presence there is the inexplicable thing, right? Um, so there, I mean, and basically everybody's and look, the FBI is involved. You know, the government's involved in this. Nobody knows what the hell this is. People have reached out to a lot of like your, you know, your more famous people that that test jetpacks, and all of them have said, "Hey, no, it wasn't me." You know, we weren't we weren't involved in this. There's a theory going around that it might have been a mannequin on a drone. 
Because one of the issues is. Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody strapped a mannequin onto a drone <laughs> and somehow that, you know. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, part of the issue here is, is that no matter the jetpack, these jetpacks are loud. I mean, and look, jetpacks have been developed again, minus the fuel issue. Jetpacks have been developed since the 60s, right? Like, uh, I forget which James Bond film it was, but Sean Connery uses one, and that was based off of a real model that existed and that you can use. Granted, you can only fly for about five minutes, but uh, and, and Bond might have done a little bit more than that, but they're, they're real things. I mean, they, they do exist. It's just that they're basically impractical, you know? Um, but anyway, everybody said, no, it wasn't them. There's a theory that it's a mannequin with the drone, but then, you know, you ask experts and they said, look, no. These pilots are these pilots, much like the situation with the Navy pilots and UAPs, these pilots for, you know, whatever, 747 or whatever they're flying. Uh, you know, these guys are trained to look out for the shit and see things with precision. And basically, the, I mean, the, the going line right now is, is no, if they said they saw a guy in a jetpack, those pilots saw a guy in a jetpack, you know, and then that that's what's going on. Yeah, I'm not doubting them. Right. I just, I, I have no way to make heads or tails of the situation. Yeah. So, I mean, you have people who do test jetpacks saying, yeah, maybe some guy was developing the shit in their garage and who knows what they did. And I was like, boy, that sounds very rocketeer all the way. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it's insane, but this is still an ongoing mystery. I think the last update I saw was a couple of days ago and that's when they they came out with the theory. And again, it's just a theory, the theory that it was uh, a mannequin on a drone. Well, it's awesome that people are testing out their own jetpack technology. Uh, maybe stay away from the airports. But other than that, you know, keep it up. Keep oh, it I think it's fucking great. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, <laughs> let, let's let's do this. I mean, when you when you like read uh, uh, from people that 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 have used jetpacks, I mean, they they just talk about it like it is the literally the most exhilarating feeling on the planet. Like nothing compares. I bet it is. Yeah. Like the freedom just makes you want to go faster and higher and you just have to keep it in mind. You know, your fuel isn't going to allow, I mean, you can, but your fuel has to be there for you to be able to land safely. You know, mm-hmm. And so that's the issue you run into, but, but yeah, it's gotta be an amazing experience. You ever, you ever try one of these? I, I've never had the opportunity. You ever try one of the ones that are like built into the water? No, I've seen videos, but yeah, those look really fun too. Yeah, those look pretty wild. Maybe maybe sometime we'll, we'll get to try that out. But I, I, I thought the story was insane. Um, I mean, that's great if this kind of stuff's going on. Uh, I'm surprised, you know, frankly, I'm surprised. In fact, we're going to get to this asshat a little bit later in the show. I'm surprised Elon Musk didn't claim it. If I was him, oh, I'd, right. I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, that was me. Yeah, yeah, we're doing that at Tesla now. Uh-huh. It's electric too. <laughs> right, but then he'd have to like come up with this whole new design model, and he'd have to like well, he's bullshitting all the time anyway. Why not? Right? I mean, like, <laughs> well, he's not like Theranos, you know, where he's like keeping the machines in the back room and nobody can see them. Nice job. All right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the bulk of his technology is either something that already exists, or or he's just you know, uh, fibbing would be a kind would be a kindness. Uh, but boy, talk about somebody fibbing. We're going to get into Musk a little bit later. We got to talk some pigs with chips in their brains. But let's talk about Theranos here for a second. Let's talk about Elizabeth Holmes. Wow. So you came up to me. So a tradition we have on this show when you're on, Ellen, is we do a little, little Sovereign Tech book club. Yeah. Where it's like, all right, what, what, what are Brian and Ellen reading here? You it's know? a nice way to break into the show. Warm yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, warm up a little bit. Well, we'll, we'll get into a book. Actually, maybe you could start off with the book. But because of a book you were reading, or I don't know if it's technically a book, maybe it's just an Audible original. 
It is an Audible original, yes. Yeah, and and folks, Audible is not a sponsor of the show, though if they want to come on board, hey, come talk to me, because I know Sovereign Tech is going to be ending up in the Audible app. We talked about that a couple episodes ago, uh, that, that Audible is adding podcasts. They reached out to Sovereign Tech, said so we want to include you, so we're going to be there. Uh, and to be alongside this great content that you were listening to, and I thought it was very fascinating, which led us to watching a documentary by HBO about Theranos Tell me about this. Tell me about this book. What was the book called? Or what was the the Audible original called? Okay, so, um, yeah, every month we get our Audible originals. Uh, This month or last month, I got one. Real quick, they stopped that. They stopped all three Audible originals? Now that they have the Audible Premium Plus that I talked about, I think, in the last episode of Sovereign Tech, where you can just, there's like thousands of books you can just download and Whatever. Oh, they already stopped it? Yeah, they stopped the monthly thing. So as of September, I was talking to a customer, you know, talking to an agent there or whatever. And, and, and anyway, that's the deal. Go ahead. Okay. So yeah, but last month, this book was available. I downloaded it too. But what was it called? Yeah, so this book was called Thicker Than Water. Uh, and it was by Tyler Schultz, mm-hmm. uh, who is the grandson of George Schultz, who was like in the administration with Nixon and made it through Watergate and everything. Political bigwig. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still his. He's still active in the political. Space. Even though he's in his nineties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so it's not exactly a book per se. It's more like a series of interviews that Tyler Schultz did for this HBO uh, documentary about Theranos. Mm-hmm. Um, right, because in the you were telling me in the documentary that we watched, like when they had Tyler Schultz on. It was word for word what was in this Audible original. Yeah, and that's yeah. what made it obvious to me that they were doing these interviews with Tyler. They ended up using only a few minutes of them, and he mm-hmm. recorded like maybe six hours of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how that worked out. Like if he thought maybe he could use his name to, uh, you know, kind of like make this book a big deal or right. make his interview into a big deal. Uh, it's his perspective on what happened at Theranos because he did work there as an intern for a few months. Okay. Um, and wow, it really, it it was shocking, and um, it was kind of hard to listen to at times. Uh, like for me personally, I was very interested because Theranos is a bio or was a biotech startup, and yep. that's you know that's kind of the world that I'm going to be working in. Once I graduate. Right. Um, so it was good for me to hear business practices of a biotech company. Yeah. This had to be like, and, and I, I mean, you, you get a, I mean, you, you always have a particular fire that uh, I've just loved for years about you, but you had a particular fire, like a very particular fire in your eyes <laughs> over this subject. Like a little, little something extra. And you came, you know, like, Brian, can, can we, can we get this documentary? We got to see this documentary and everything. I mean, this is really exciting. And I understand why, because again, I mean, you're a bioengineer, chemical engineer, you know, you're, you're, this is, this is your, uh, your stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And another thing is that like in the story, Tyler Schultz was describing Elizabeth Holmes and like in the beginning, he really admires her. He looks up to her as a role model. She's. Uh, she's selling her vision to him. He's so on board. Yeah. And then as the story goes on and the, the plot develops and thickens, he starts to discover like she's actually a sociopath. Woo. And I've had personal experience with sociopaths. Sure. And I, I I just have like red flags waving all the time whenever I see like sociopath tendencies. Yeah. Um, 
And it always amazes me when I hear these stories about how people were charmed into believing all the lies that these sociopaths tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listen to or watch these stories and I'm like, how did you not see that this person was lying? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. It's just fascinating, I guess, to see that dynamic and, and how sociopaths have special tools that they use on people at like just the public, I guess people at large. Um, so did Tyler Schultz come right out and call her, call Elizabeth Holmes a sociopath in that book? I I think he, he strongly suggested it. Okay. He okay. said that she lied openly about things and that she was, she seemed kind of like a psycho. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So now the movie, the documentary that HBO made in 2019, it's the inventor out for blood in Silicon Valley. That's the name of it. Uh, I recommend it highly. I have not listened to the audible original yet. I will listen to that, but I already get the sense that these are like companion pieces. One adds a lot of color to the other. Yeah. One is more of like a, a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the audio book is a personal perspective from someone who worked there. Right. The documentary shows a lot of different perspectives. Yeah. Now, would you recommend people read the audible original first or listen to it first? and then watch the documentary or would you recommend the inverse? I'm already thinking the inverse just because the documentary gives you so much visual info to probably what Tyler's talking about. But what do you think? Yeah, actually that's true because he does explain um, like in his story, he talks about certain people that you would see in the documentary Mm -hmm. um, who only appear for brief periods of time, but still play a a sizable role. Um, So yeah, I think it would help you to, remember the story more if you watch the documentary and then listen to the audiobook. Yeah. Uh, but you have to understand like the audiobook isn't going to cover like as much of Theranos as it is about like what Theranos did to Tyler Schultz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I think the recommendation then is yeah. Watch the documentary first. Uh, go ahead and torrent it folks. No problem. HBO doesn't, doesn't mind. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I say that because they track torrent downloads and they like tout them out there. Like it's a big deal. They did it with, with game of Thrones, um, which I mean, you got to do something to make that shit show look like something, but regardless, this documentary was actually very well done. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, I mean, I, and, and this is still the biggest mystery for me and I, I need to read up more on it. Uh, I guess before maybe we do like before we ever did a full review on it, if we were ever to do that is there is, this is a rare documentary where it appears to have been made before Theranos, before that whole scandal happened and it fell apart. Because, they started making it before that, yeah. Right, because it looks like it was a professional documentary team brought in to Theranos by Theranos to, I mean, because like they have tons of footage of Elizabeth Holmes. I mean, all this stuff. And inside the labs, right? Inside and it's the HD cameras. This isn't being done on an iPhone. I don't know, twenty-seven X or whatever bullshit new versions out there. You know, it's not. It's it's none of that. Like this is professionally done, and it's and a lot of it seemed to be done. I mean, like there's recordings of parties and everything. Uh, They're filming at photo shoots that they do with her. Right, right. And they have all the footage when they brought in, speaking of Apple, one of uh, the the main like directors and visual guys behind uh, Apple's commercial campaigns and everything. They brought him in to do this stuff. So, I mean, there, there is an, you, you get an amazing look, you know, it's like, imagine somebody was recording, um, like, or doing a documentary for Microsoft before the DOJ case. 
but then like they kept filming while the DOJ case was going on and you basically got to see all of that action happen in real time, knowing the legal situation that's happening on the outside. It's very similar to that. Uh, and, 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 and that's a remarkable perspective that we usually don't get. Usually we get an after the fact and you have to find archival footage and all this stuff. No, this is stuff getting recorded beforehand, during, and then of course, after, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. As far yeah. As goes. And it, it kind of gave a, a really eerie quality to what you were watching yes. too, because you, you know how the story is going to end already. Yes. I mean, clearly Theranos is dissolved and, uh, everybody knows that Elizabeth Holmes is a fraud, yeah. but while they're, except for maybe Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. She doesn't realize that herself. <laughs> That's a theory going. Yeah. yeah that I wanted to bring up is that she might not even think she's lying. She might, she just might be out of touch with reality, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, we can get into that. There's a psychologist uh, that's in the documentary as well. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, during the the documentary, you know, she's talking about her vision and just believing it so much and really sell, doing the hard sell to people. Like, yes. Giving them her big eyes and saying, like, nobody has to lose anyone they love too soon. And seeming so confident. And then big eyes that never blink, by the way. Continue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's so creepy. They yes. never blink. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like, and then you see the other side of the story. Like they're in the laboratory talking to people who actually work on the machines and mm-hmm. do the assays. And they're like, none of this stuff works. She's making all these claims and they're not true. Um, and then it'll show footage of her like on a, a new show or something. And, uh, she's just saying like, no, everything's fine. This is great. We're planning on expanding and blah, blah, blah. And making it sound like it's just, it's going to be the next revolution. Right. This is a story and it's a very real one. This is a story where the investment term blood on the streets has never been more punny. Uh, I mean, it is. Gosh, <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you. Uh, uh, here's here's what I'm going to say about this because you just have to see it to believe it because it is unbelievable what gets presented in this. Here's what I'm going to say is that when you watch this and there is a brief suggestion by the documentarians about this fact or about this, what I think is a fact. If you think Theranos is the only company in Silicon Valley, and it is technically a Silicon Valley company, it is technically a Silicon Valley startup. If you think Theranos is the only company with this MO and where this is going on, you are fooling yourself hard. I mean, like you, you are, you are out of touch with reality and they do a very nice job of at one point kind of trying to raise that idea of like faking it till you make it or faking it and never making it. Yeah, this is uh, something that commonly happens, supposedly. Yeah, but they in, they in have Silicon Valley. They show Palantir, they show Google, they 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 very cleverly, you know, almost subliminally lay out the idea that hey, you know, and there is a point that gets made in this film that I think is incredibly worthwhile and actually fits in very well with the sovereign tech theme, and that is is that look, Silicon Valley is really great at you know, communications technologies, you know, getting email to you, maybe a web browser, building a little platform. Maybe they're not even so good at that, but whatever, you know, they're good at those sorts of things, stuff on the internet, but get them building driverless cars and all this other stuff. Oh no, no. When human lives are really on the line, they're not so good at that. 
And their methodologies don't work as far as that goes, which speaks ultimately to Theranos. Yeah, and their methodology is, is setting a goal that's unrealistically far in the future yep, and trying shots. to get there as fast as possible and make it happen by whatever means necessary. Yeah, move fast and break things. And uh, folks, you know, the things they're going to break are human beings. Um, it, it's anyway, th- this is a. This, it, I mean, it's amazing the story about Theranos in this. It's amazing that Theranos made it as far as it did with as many investors and, and even like Walgreens buying into the idea. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew that it was a fraud. Oh, and, and, and the amount of press that it got? Yeah, from, it was so much like so much press and so many puff pieces written about yeah. how great this company is. But I, I'm telling you, I mean... Magic Leap, the VR technology. I mean, there's so many things I could go down the list of where it is the same. I guarantee you it's the same exact case. And where you have like these guys writing, oh, I saw this amazing technology. It blew my mind, blah, blah, blah. And it's all bullshit. Where is it? Right? Like, weren't we driverless cars? We're supposed to have those in 2015. You can go back to episodes of Sovereign Tech in 2015. And I am saying even then, and I'm quoting you the stories. Where it said, where Google said, oh, yeah, we're going to have driverless cars all over the place. You know, people in them is going to be a standard by 2015 or Toyota even saying that or whoever. And has not happened. We're in 2020, close approaching 2021. No driverless cars. You know, I mean, this, I, this, these lies from these companies, unbelievable. Um, anyway, so you recommend this book no, or this Audible original, no problem. And of course, the documentary, Ellen, which yeah, say? definitely. Yeah. Uh, now you're reading something else pretty interesting. Let, let, let's touch on this. <laughs> this is something that I have recommended. I've had, I, I think I remember even like listener questions from, I don't know, probably seven years ago into Sovereign Tech where parents were like, you know, what, what's, what's a good reading list, you know, or like, how, how would you get into child education and all this stuff? Now I'm not going to pretend I'm not a parent. I'm not going to pretend like to really know how necessarily, but I kind of said basically what I thought worked for me when I was a kid. And I remember in uh, third grade, going to the little scholastic book sale in the gym at school in elementary school. And I saw the complete Sherlock Holmes for sale and I had just enough money. It cost three fifty at the time. And my allowance was $4 every two weeks. How about that folks? And I bought that book and man, I read that book cover to cover so many times. That was a, a absolute masterpiece. Uh, Audible of all things actually put together with the use of Stephen Fry, right? Yeah, they did. They made a great collection available of the complete Sherlock Holmes. And you've been listening to this. Anyway, I'd recommended kids, you know, if you want it, like to teach your kids logic, read Sherlock Holmes. What do you say to that statement, Ellen? Well, I I don't know. I mean, so first of all, I, I am a little embarrassed that I'm 26 years old and I've never listened to Sherlock Holmes or you're, I've never read it. You're making up um, for it. But it's OK. It, yeah, I mean, there were certain things that I didn't have access to when I was a child, you know, mm-hmm. normal childhood experiences. Um, but it, it's great to listen to even now. Um, sometimes I'll listen to it for hours at a time and I never get tired of it. It's so amazing. Uh, like how brilliantly the characters are written uh, and how how easily the stories flow and no detail is spared. Uh, it's, it's just a great series. Um, and I really think... Arthur Conan Doyle must have been a genius to to write a genius character. Yeah. Um, I So the logic, yes, the logic is impeccable, but it doesn't teach pure logic. It's more about deductive reasoning. 
Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's an aspect of logic, but yes, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you, you have to work backwards and make reasonable assumptions. Mm -hmm. Um, which I suppose you could say you have to use logic to do that, but you can't deduce using pure logic an assumption. Right. Um, that that is something that you you kind of have to have a gut feeling of like understanding a person in order to do that. Like yes. Knowing that a person would, if they were in a rush, they would put a piece of paper that they want to hide in their dressing gowns pocket or something like that. Um, well, but, I mean, even Holmes himself would under, would would express that you know, well, guess what? You know, humans uh, are emotional. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and they they operate under those auspices, not under you know pure logic. But go ahead, yeah. Oh yeah, he, no, that's very true. I mean, most of the crimes that he investigates are are crimes of passion mm-hmm. of some kind or another. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really brilliant. And honestly, I I feel like I'm I'm a decently logical and intuitive person. Yes, but you when are. I listen to these stories, there are times where I really have no idea where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And after he, I, I'm always like waiting for the moment when he starts to explain to Watson how it was that he discovered these things. And when he explains it, I'm like, of course, it is simplicity itself. <laughs> Intuitively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it's just, it's amazing. Like, I, I don't know that I would have that skill to do that and to hear it's so well written with like, it, it just, it feels like a living text. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really is a person that you're interacting with and, and they're still so vital even now um, because it, it's a skill that I don't know that many people really have. And yeah. it's, it's certainly not taught at least to that depth. Like he, he is such an expert. Yeah. I mean, in the original Canon, cause there's a point later on, and I don't think these are in the Stephen Fry collection, or at least I kind of hope they're not. Maybe they are because it is the complete Sherlock Holmes. Like basically Arthur Conan Doyle would write Holmes to a point and he, then he would stop and he said he was done. But then later in his life, he'd get a little hard on money and Arthur Conan Doyle's like, Oh, I'll just write more Holmes books. And they're nowhere near as good. Uh, I mean, they're not even remotely good. It, like the original canon is, is what really matters. And those, I, I agree with you. I think those books are so alive. I mean, and like you, you talk, they, it's one of the few characters. Sherlock Holmes is one of the very few characters where you end up, in my opinion, you talk about them like they were a real person. Um, be, because they, they, they just feel that, I don't know, like that, that, that fully evolved or that fully realized within the text. It's amazing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he he's described as like a messy person who mm-hmm. leaves his his papers lying out in in piles and he hides his tobacco in his shoe. Yeah. <laughs> uh but but then there's also like the descriptions of London. You and I have like a full visual map of what London looks like right. at least at the time that these books were written. Like I can imagine, you know, there's different parts of the city that have different gravel or mud laid out right like that's how he can tell which part of the city you've come from um it's just fascinating details like that that really make it feel like the story is happening and you're there yeah and he does seem like such a real person even though these stories are sometimes kind of short uh it's somehow he's able to describe 
this really fascinating person that is full of color. Have you experienced Moriarty yet? Not yet. I'm getting okay. to that. Okay. That's in the chapter I'm listening to. Aha. Uh-huh. All right. All right. It's been promised. We, we, yeah. Ooh. Uh, we're going to have conversations when the, when that comes around, um, because, uh, I mean, an amazing villain at the same time, uh, who probably is better remembered as a Star Trek, the next generation character, uh, than he is, <laughs> you know, literally, but, um, but regardless, uh, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, what do you say? 10 out of 10, like everybody should be reading this. Yeah. Regardless of what age you are, I yes. think it's a, it's a really engaging and fun read. Um, and, I feel like it's it's helped inform me on on ways of seeing the world. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Um, I mean, it, it's amazing. So for me, experiencing uh, Holmes. Now, I read him when I was I, like I started reading when I was in third grade. And I think what drew me in, because I even even at that age, I couldn't possibly understand everything that's going on in those books, even though you, you get a pretty good idea. Sure. Um, there's a very funny thing that happens and this actually leads to my, my book, uh, that, that I'm reading. Um, so like the first time I read a Batman comic book, I was six years old, changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. Totally inspirational. Uh, I've talked about it many times on the show. And when I later on in life, I would realize that when I was reading Sherlock Holmes, it hit me and connected with me and I got it. And I was excited because he reminded me of Batman. Of course, the reality is flipped, right? I mean, like, like Batman was clearly based on Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes has effectively become like a, a an archetype. He, he is a, he is a literary character uh, like type and, and, and you get, you experience them as time goes on. Now, the irony is, is that also in third grade, I would, after reading Sherlock Holmes, I was like, wow, I could really get into this. And I was actually very proud of myself for reading books of that caliber. And so I was like, okay, I want to read something bigger. And the bigger thing that I found was a Star Wars novel that had just come out at the time called Heir to the Empire, which kind of brought Star Wars back into prominence. I won't go into that whole story right here, but that was the introduction to a character named Grand Admiral Thrawn, who was the new big bad in Star Wars at that time. Um, now I read that and I'm reading it and I'm like, Oh, I love this Thrawn guy. This is great. I mean, as great as the Luke Skywalker action and Mar Jade and all that stuff is, and that's all very exciting, whatever written by Timothy Zahn. All I could think about after reading that book was, wow, Grand Admiral Thrawn is so cool. Grand Admiral Thrawn is a guy who same deal. He's doing all these things. He's taking all these actions. The characters around him, like his, his second in command, Captain uh, uh, Paleon, like, doesn't understand what he's doing, but they just trust him. What does that sound like? Sounds like Watson, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, or that's the, the investigators. Exactly. And, and basically, you know, later on, then suddenly Thrawn will explain himself. It's like, well, I did this because they're going to do this and they're doing this and they're doing this and Thrawn wins. You know, I mean, and, and it's amazing how great of a character he is, but he's basically Sherlock Holmes in space. Granted, he's a quote unquote villain. And I put that in quotes because, I mean, really, the Rebel Alliance is a bunch of terrorists anyway. But uh, excuse me. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, uh, but but it was it was just amazing that in that early in my life, like I encountered so many characters and really a lot of my favorite characters in any fiction would all be a type of Sherlock Holmes or Holmes himself. Um, and it was an amazing thing. And so ironically, my pick 
uh, or my, my, for my book club, uh, is, is, um, now I complained about this a lot. We've done previous book clubs and I've complained about them because some of these star Wars books that come out, I read every single goddamn one of them. And a lot of them are, are frankly, they're a chore. They're, they're a pain in the butt. Uh, and, and I've talked about that many times, but anytime Timothy's on amazingly gets to do a new Thrawn book, I'm there and I'm ready for it. And so far they have all been great. And this would be the fourth of the new canon that he's done for Star Wars. And it's called Thrawn Ascendancy. Uh, it's the first book in a trilogy and like this Ascendancy trilogy. Uh, and I'll, all I'll say is, is that if you love Thrawn, you're just going to love this. It's an origin story for him and it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and you're definitely getting more of that Sherlock Holmes style uh, uh, character. And again, I, I mean, and, and my feelings about where Star Wars is going as late kind of stinks. But it's interesting that Timothy Zahn was reading an interview with him, the author and the creator of the character of Thrawn. Uh, he basically said, he's like, you know, even if you don't like the new movies, he said, you can, if you just like the heir to the empire trilogy, this can still be a prequel to the heir to the empire trilogy with no problem. So I found that interesting that he was like trying to appease classic Thrawn fans as well as, uh, you know, maybe people who have just learned about him, you know, who are much younger star Wars fans that wouldn't know about that time. So anyway, uh, Thrawn ascendancy, same thing. I, I recommend it all the way if you're into Star Wars. And if you haven't started reading Star Wars books yet, I don't know if it's a good start for it, but I, I really, really dig it because there's no humans in it. That's a great win. Um, and he's really, Timothy Zahn is building a whole new world. So anyway, that's the only book I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to discuss Rudolf Steiner or anything along those lines that uh, that I've been reading lately uh, as well. So do you have anything else you want to talk about in the book club, Ellen? Uh, I think that covers it. That covers it. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and while, while we're talking about uh, perhaps, <laughs> and, and I don't mean to speak for you, Ellen, what I will call uh, uh, shysters in, in Silicon Valley. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about Elon Musk? You want to get into this? I guess we have to. We can't avoid it. Yeah, uh, this is something actually a lot of Sovereign Tech listeners have been asking me to discuss. And the concept that the this is really a conversation around BCIs, brain computer interfaces. That is a very broad term, an abstract term um, for effectively connecting the human brain directly to some kind of computational interface. But not uh, the human brain yet. Yeah, we're, we're not exactly there yet. Um, but. Someone might have tried this on pigs recently, uh, and who, uh, boy. Um, so a couple, a few years ago, Elon Musk announced Neuralink and we discussed it at the time on Sovereign Tech. Um, I was a little skittish about it. Now he's not the only person working on this sort of thing. In fact, it's important to really bring up that Neuralink is actually doing nothing innovative. Just like basically everything else Elon Musk has done, he hasn't done anything innovative at all. Um, I've brought that point up many times. This is another case where he's not really doing anything innovative. The only thing that could remotely be called an innovation that Neuralink is doing is the wiring. Because the brain, let's just say it, and Ellen, you could speak to this far better than I could. The brain is a very corrosive environment. Um and having like thin wires that aren't going to bother and that can survive that being in the brain and that environment is basically what you have to solve. A lot of the other aspects of BCIs, you know, of jacking your brain to a computer, uh, 
are, I mean, is all already available. That that's pretty basic stuff or that's not basic. It's still, you know, a challenge, but, but that, that, that's, that's tried and true that other people have already worked on those technologies. And we've discussed many of these over the years on sovereign tech, but this, this, you know, this wiring that, that is thin and, and very sturdy, you know, uh, or not sturdy. That's not the term I'm looking for. Uh, but very tough. We'll say that, um, that, that, that's, that's really what Neuralink's working on. So, there was an announcement uh, in late August that where Elon Musk came out and said, Hey, I'm going to show Neuralink working. And everybody's like, wait, what, what is he going to do here? How's this? How did he get to human trials already? How is this going to happen? And there was a little bit of mystery around it. Well, it ended up that he was, he went on YouTube live and he, I think he, I think it was three pigs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. One of them uh, already had Neuralink implanted and removed. Right. Um, and the, there was another that currently had it installed. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Gertrude. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think there was one that even had two installed at some point. Okay. So, and so they, they, he did this whole thing where you basically had, I mean, and there's a link in the show notes for this episode, folks, where, where you can see, uh, what was it like in a little, little pen? Yeah, well, they kept the pigs in their their pens, uh, but they right. had them come out and like eat snacks, or you know, he talked to the pigs or whatever, talked about them, and connected to Neuralink. Gertrude was, yes, right? mm-hmm. and uh, they they were showing while this was going on that they were showing Gertrude's brain waves. Well, they were showing the neuron firings, right? Yes, okay, and that those could be tracked based upon what Gertrude was doing. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, you could register that. Right. And if her, no- if her uh, nose touched something, it showed mm-hmm. the neurons firing that were associated with the nose's touch sensations. Now, I think for the average person, this probably didn't impress them at all because they're like, what? You did this on pigs? Woohoo. You know, and I think it was an underwhelming presentation based around the hype. Well, especially since Neuralink is supposed to allow a lot more communication between computer and human, besides just the computer registering certain neurons firing. Right. Isn't that the point of this whole thing? Yes. Yeah. So, but ultimately, I think what they were trying to prove is that their wiring worked. And and that's really what this is about. And I get it where in this field, that's a big deal. Okay. Sure. Like, like, like that, that, that is, that is impressive, uh, as it were. Right. Um, but it's certainly not any, like most people aren't going to grasp that most people aren't going to even understand that the wiring is the issue. They're not, you know, they're not going to get into that, whatever. So he, he did it. Well, so ahead. initially the Neuralink had these really sturdy, rigid, uh, electrodes that were mm-hmm. stuck into the brain. Um, and those are probably much easier to make. Um, to put like a coating on them so that your immune system doesn't attack immediately once it, it senses it there. Right. Um, and that's really what makes the, the body such a corrosive place is as soon as your immune system realizes there's a foreign body in there, it tries to surround it with this tough tissue. Um, it, it's it, almost like we're not supposed to do this. It's it really is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, Surgeons have been very successful in doing, um, you know, like hip replacements right. and things like that. Th- those still have a lot of complications. Um, 
you know, anytime. Yeah, but normally they're using titanium. I mean, they're using like the toughest materials on earth. Yeah. So I guess Neuralink's innovation was to make the electrodes more flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not really sure how they did that. I don't know what the science is behind that. But yeah, that that does seem to be what they were trying to prove, at least in this demonstration. Right. Um, I, I guess I'm just wondering, like, you know, what What else was this about? Was it just about showing that the wiring worked and that they could read neurons firing? Because if that's the case, this is not that impressive, like you were saying. You know, there's there's no connection between the the computer and the brain besides that. I, I mean, like, there's no communication going on besides the, the proof of the neurons firing. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think the whole purpose here was, again show that the wiring worked. And I don't recall, I don't know if he even said it in the video. The video's all of like four minutes, not even. I don't recall if Elon Musk even, uh, in fact, it's funny, watch the video because he looks really nervous during it. He's like, uh, is this going to work? You know, because I mean, he was doing this live and it could have failed spectacularly. Yeah, he sounded very awkward. Yes. Um, well, the, the, so the whole demonstration was what, like an hour long? Oh, I guess, yeah, all, all told. Um, but uh, but I mean, like the video we have linked is only about four minutes, uh, but you can still get, you know, the, definitely get the gist um, within that. But yeah, I, I think this is really all about, this is a durability test. That's the word I was looking for earlier. This is really a durability test about the wiring. Um, I don't know that anything else was anything impressive. Again, they hyped this baby up. And I, I really think it came off as, again, impressive about the wiring, but ultimately, you know, it, it, it didn't live up to any hype. I don't think it was very exciting. I don't know anybody that's even really talking about it anymore after it happened. Go ahead. Yeah. Are we going to get into this article? Because I think the article does make a good point. It actually talks about the, the long-term plans of Neuralink. Yeah, uh, we could talk about that. Do you have it up where it talks about the long-term plans? Yeah, yeah. It is just, this the one from CNET? It is. Okay, yeah. Go, why don't you go ahead and read it? Let, let, oh, what do we got? Okay. Yeah. All right, so this article is titled, Elon Musk Shows Neuralink Brain Implant Working in a Pig. It's like a Fitbit in your skull. I hate that marketing language. <laughs> I do, too. I think it appeals to people's uh, simplicity. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, let's just talk about this for one second. I want, I want you to ask yourself, especially if you've listened to Sovereign Tech, even just this year, how good do you feel about a Fitbit? Like, he's talking about that like it's a good thing. And yet I would argue, oh, no, <laughs> you know, not, not even. But now Fitbits it's connected are to your brain. Yeah, I mean, or even, hell, just listen to the last episode that I did about the Amazon Halo. Uh, and, and let's talk about bad ideas. But anyway, yeah, now it's jacked right into your brain. Yeehaw. Do you have the part where it talks about um, uh, specifically the long-term goals? Yeah. Okay. Uh, So basically uh, it says Musk also showed a second generation implant that's more compact and fits into a small cavity hollowed out of the skull. Tiny electrode threads penetrate the outer surface of the brain, detecting an electrical impulse from nerve cells that show the brain is at work. In line with Neuralink's longer-term plans, the threads are designed to communicate back with computer-generated signals of their own. It communicates with brain cells 
with 1,024 thin electrodes that penetrate the outer layer of their brain. Then there's a Bluetooth link to an outside computing device. Though the company is looking at other radio technology it can use to dramatically increase the number of data links. Mm -hmm. So bandwidth is a huge issue here. Okay, I get that. Yeah. um, So the pig demonstration showed neural activity being broadcast wirelessly to a computer, but it didn't reveal any of Neuralink's long-term ambitions, like a computer usefully communicating back to a brain Mm -hmm. or a computer understanding what the spikes of neural activity actually mean. So basically, this is saying Neuralink's longer-term plans uh, include the device communicating back with the brain or a uh, a computer communicating with the brain. Right. And it's meant to be wireless. Like you're, you're, it's meant to be over Bluetooth or radio waves, the communication, but none of that is actually happening. And I think that would be the real innovation that Neuralink was created around. The idea was sold Mm -hmm. to people with this in mind. Um, But there's no evidence that that has happened or is a technology that's available currently. Yeah, that's why I say that, I mean, and look, this is a permanent fixture in your brain. Now, he went a step towards showing that it is possible for it to be permanent, right? And that it is also, and I think this is really key, that one of the pigs already had it removed, and the pig was seemingly fine, seemingly, granted. Uh, it's a pig. We don't, we can't talk to it. Yeah, so I mean, pigs are, feeling. right, pigs are incredibly smart creatures. Um, in fact, they, they you know, they're, they're certainly approaching that level uh that class of creature that like uh, elephants and dolphins and so on i think they're they're getting like in that range um sure i've definitely heard that pigs are smarter than dogs right yeah uh so like it's 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 an interesting animal to experiment on i've i've got to say and, and i want to talk about bcis in general with you and actually i want to talk about another project as well that's that's going on but give me the well okay there was an article from PETA that i shared with you i want to read this because i i I was i was kind of amazed at now i mean PETA is PETA. we you know we people people know uh you know of course it's an the animal rights organization sure people for the ethical treatment of animals yes yeah so uh, let let me read their their story from september 2nd 2020 here can Uh, i just say their headline is animals are not ours we can't own animals yeah that that, that's at the top of their page right yeah so uh uh here's here's the headline PETA to elon musk put neuralink chip in your own brain and leave pigs alone (laughs) (laughs) now I, i i like their sassiness towards him um, you know, PETA is a, certainly a firebrand organization, one that, um, they've done things that I think are absolutely asinine at sure, times. Sure. And then there's times where I think they've raised some very excellent points, uh, of, of what's going on, you know, in, in a lot of the, well, in a lot of industry, frankly. Um, but anyway, let's read it here on August 28th, entrepreneur Elon Musk introduced Gertrude, one of several pigs he's using in experiments during a webcast demonstration of the latest project by his company, Neuralink implanting coin sized computer chips into pigs brains to attempt to demonstrate that brain waves can be tracked. 
Aware that there would be a backlash against his use of pigs, he used a PR reel to say that he and his staff care for animals. However, this was this humane washing can't cover up the cruelty, notion of human supremacy, speciesism, or bad science. Attempts to connect human brains to the internet shouldn't come at the expense of pigs, our fellow earthlings who feel uh, pain, fear, and confusion, and deserve consideration just as humans do. Scientifically, Musk's demo didn't show anything that hasn't been done before. Like most of his breakthroughs, this one is long on hype and short on evidence that uh, what he's predicting can actually happen. Now, I totally agree with him on that. Sure, of course. And that's my whole point, is that, like, he, you know, this is a lot of hype, very little evidence, you know, uh, and, and certainly nothing to get everybody all excited about. I mean, it was basically an hour long infomercial. I mean, that, that, that's really what it felt like. Um, anyway, so here it is. Uh, PETA challenges Musk to behave like a true pioneer by implanting a Neuralink chip in his own brain, rather than exploiting smart, sensitive pigs who didn't volunteer for, for surgery. Don't appreciate that. He provides them with uh pats and a straw cell and should be left out and pie in the sky projects. Now I'll, I'll tell you, there is a part of me that would really love to see Elon Musk on all fours, you know, in straw, eating from a mud trough, you know, and and having that chip in his brain or whatever. Uh, because, you know, wow, talk about vengeance. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, he's certainly, you know, I mean, well, for one thing, let's be abundantly clear here. Uh, he is doing all of these experiments with stolen money, right? I mean, because he he is an absolute tax queen, um, and and you know, makes no bones about it. None of his companies really make any actual profit. Uh, he's basically thriving off of either tax cuts or actual tax dollars from grants that he gets from the government. Um, this is a longstanding uh, uh, accusation that I've made against him on this show. And I mean, I, I, I just like this guy is a, he's not, again, not innovative and B he's playing with other people's money and not really his own, even though he was obviously involved with PayPal, you know, and, and that whole thing and, and certainly made some money, um, there anyway, reading on just a little bit, if Musk were truly forward thinking, he'd consider how future generations will judge his use of other life forms. In other words, how he'll be judged for his speciesism. Uh, one video clip shows a pig made to trot on a treadmill and her ears have had giant notches cut into them just as done in factory farms without painkillers. Uh, might doesn't make right from outfitting our cars to experimenting with brainwaves. Musk must know that there are ethical ways to achieve his goals and exploiting pigs and experiments. Isn't one of them. How do you feel about this, Ellen? Well, I think it's great. And I totally agree with them about PETA or, or from PETA. Uh, yes. Uh, uh -huh. so on the one hand, like I understand from a scientific point of view, that when you're testing new medical devices, mm -hmm. and that's what this is currently, is a medical device. Right. That's what his intentions are, is to like help people that have paralysis or something to yes. regain their uh, capabilities. Uh, so anyway, in order to... So like the, there is a whole process that you have to go through with getting medical devices approved. And part of this process is doing animal testing to see if it's truly viable on an organism. Mm -hmm. So... I kind of understand that, like, that was a necessary part of getting this to market eventually. Uh, but I think PETA raises a great point that he could always test it on himself or willing human volunteers. Um, and honestly, I 
in my heart feel that that would be the ethical thing is to not use animals for that and to use people who are willing to do it, who are able to give their consent for something like that. Yeah. To be clear, uh, I, I don't I don't think uh, 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 Peter's out of line in requesting that because there are people who do this, who I mean, there, there are guys, there are guys who basically consider themselves cyborgs that have been, you know, trying to jack themselves into computers for decades now. Um, some of them are, are incredibly famous. Uh, so, you know, and, and that's the auspice that they go under is that, no, I'm going to prove it works on a fucking human. I don't need to do lab experience. You know, I'm not going to do the lab experiments or whatever. And granted, they might not be going so far as what Neuralink is trying to do, but they are still trying to be cyborgs, you know, and they are still trying to, yes, connect themselves to, to a computer and do, you know, all the rest of it. We've covered some of them over the years on the show um, where these guys have tried, have tried that. I'm trying to think of the one, the guy is Steven something. I can't think of his name, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's a part of me that really likes that attitude of like, no Musk, you know what? You want to connect a human brain? You go first, you know, step right up, Jack. And, and <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, Peter also raises the, a great point. Um, and it, it's a bias that I feel like almost everyone has, and we're just raised with it. Mm-hmm. No matter what culture, what country you come from, uh, the, the idea of human supremacy and speciesism mm-hmm. that, that Peter brings up, uh, that humans are somehow better than other animals or superior. Uh, why? Just because we're able to build stuff and we're smarter. Yeah. These animals can still feel things just the same as we do. They still love, they still have joy and pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they have the same basic needs as we do. And how do we know if we can't communicate with them what their experience of the world is or how they think? We have really no basis for, now, for saying like we are we are better than these other animals. Therefore, we deserve to use them for our benefit, even if it kills them. Now, yeah, I mean, and and for some clarity, so you are an incredibly forward-thinking person, and I think Peta is bringing up that point. Like you're not being, you know, for Musk. Like, hey, how about you think about how people are going to think of you, you know, a thousand years from now or whatever for right. what will they will probably see as barbarism. And frankly, I think they will in the science world. I'll call it that the conversation around no longer using lab rats and everything else. I mean, that that's a heated thing going on right now. People are looking for solutions to stop doing this to these animals, partly because the research being done on rats is like, wait a minute, rats will save each other from drowning. You know, and like, you know, all, all these, I mean, the more you learn about these creatures, the more they're realizing, hey, these, these, these aren't just creatures that like, you know, we should be able to just, I don't know, toss in a vat of acid or something to test or, or you know, or do whatever brain work on them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for most empathetic human beings, when you mm-hmm. see that you can relate to something that a, an animal is feeling, when you can empathize with them, you don't want to hurt them. Right. It, it, it's kind of freaky to, to realize suddenly me and this animal are feeling the same thing. Like I would totally save a drowning person. Would you? Yeah. 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 And so would a mouse. Uh, and, and like, there are definitely solutions. There's, you know, organ on a chip, human on a chip. There's different, like you can grow cells in, in Petri dishes now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are certain things that you can replace animal testing with. Mm-hmm. albeit they're in development and they're more expensive maybe, but, um, 
there there are just a lot of scientific advantages to testing on animals and part of it is the the economic incentive you know it's sure cheaper and relatively easy to get your hands on animals for testing there's mm-hmm. a few forms you have to go in front of a board and and ask for permission and explain what your experiments are uh, and they'll determine whether it's you know beneficial to the human race and uh, what sort of cruelty the animal is going to be going through. Um, but yeah, it's it's not that hard uh, and to, to get a hold of animals for testing. Right. And um, I guess pigs are one of the more expensive animals to, to use, but um, I'm guessing they didn't want to go to like chimpanzee yet in yeah. this testing. I mean, pig... You know, a pig is a, is an attractive animal. I mean, it's not attractive, but it, 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 it's <laughs> Whoa, yeah. Whoop. Never told me about hey, this. Hey, all right. <laughs> uh, it's an attractive animal to to experiment on because, in many ways, they are so human like. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, not all, but in many. So, and it is a smart creature, you know, and 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 we know that. Of course, I, I would hope that that would dissuade us from wanting to to mess with them. Uh, but whatever. I mean, understand, you know, folks, we're we're not coming from some like militant vegan argument here like this is or at least you know i'm not claiming to or whatever i i know not not militant at all i mean maybe vegan yes (laughs) right yeah but uh, i i thought i thought PETA again i lot they did they say and do some really dumb shit a lot of times okay um but this is a case where yeah i think them calling out musk on what he was trying to pull here was was very worthwhile and and i think musk is worth is due a lot of criticism and it seems like he doesn't get enough uh in my opinion for a lot of his ideas and also ultimately product that he brings to quote unquote market um i don't think any of it ever really lives up nor well anyway i i don't need to just be bashing musk this whole time because ultimately what i want to get talking about are BCIs. And, and I think like more of a, not, I don't want to say an abstract conversation, but I think, I think we, we need to have a conversation around the viability. Is this worthwhile? Is this something that we want to do? So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to have that conversation. So we'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Woo. Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside, and not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time, and you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. The main story. 
And we are back with some more Sovereign Tech. Of course, really, we already started our main story. We're just kind of continuing it here. But, you know, I, I have an engineer scientist before me that I I want to know. I can I can sit here, you know, and 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 talk and have, uh, you know, discuss my concerns around uh, brain computer interfaces. Sometimes they're also called BMIs, brain machine interfaces. That's that's another. Uh, another route that gets discussed. Um, I actually basically was one of the initial people to discover that Facebook was getting in on the game. Um, and they even did a, they even acquired a company called control labs. That's really big on, you know, reading neurons. Uh, it's a funny name. Yeah. Control labs. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> it really says something there. I, I, I would not have chosen that name if I was into uh, brain research, but okay. Um, and I've discussed, in fact, something we might get to a little bit later. We've discussed like uh, Brian Johnson, not the uh, ACDC singer, but we've discussed his uh, his project with Colonel. That that's something that that we might get into in our conversation here. Um, I can talk about this stuff all the time, but at the end of the day, I'm essentially a tech journalist, you know. And what do I know? I can do investigative, you know, work. But somebody who has a, a bit of a better grasp of things, or for more than a bit which that would very much, I think, be you, Ellen. Um, you're coming from a much more educated position, is my is my point. And you're also somebody, again, who is forward-thinking, and I know who often asks yourself the question, and of course you've been listening to Sovereign Tech for years, uh, who often asks the question, wait a minute, what could go wrong? And uh, you're someone who I think expertly uses both the scientific method and the what I call the science fiction method you know, where, where you, you hypothesize and, you know, take a look at what is science fiction and like great science fiction authors uh, explore about problems. And I, I think that's a worthwhile thing to do. It's one of the science fiction is one of the ways, as I say often, that we find, we find a way to engage the rapid change that occurs around us. And again, a lot of these products are looking to be available next year, 2021, you know, COVID-19 is not stopping any of this. Um, and you have this sword that I feel like you put through things. I've talked about this many times where someone will tell you about something and you just have the sword ready to go right through the whatever, no matter how small the hole in the armor, you just, (laughs) you know, and the person keels over and dies and no, (laughs) or at least the idea does. So I guess I want to know from you. I mean, like, what are your concerns around BCIs, BMIs? What are your concerns around Neuralink perhaps specifically? Um, you know, what, 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 what's coming up for you with this? I mean, are you worried they're going to try and control people's brains, uh, control data? I mean, I just quick, those are valid concerns to have. I mean, and you don't even have to have like a scientific background to, to be worried about this because just look at what these companies do with our fucking mouse clicks. It's terrifying. (laughs) You know, uh, how many many behavioral experiments has Facebook put us to, you know, and, 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 and what you want me to, to have them directly jacked into my brain, you know, I mean, so there's valid concerns to have without even a scientific understanding of what this does, but I guess I want to hear from you. I mean, what, like what, what comes up for you, you know? Well, uh, I guess purely from a scientific standpoint, uh, if we're just going to assume that the intentions of Neuralink are what they say they are and nothing more, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you have to be concerned about like, you know, this thing is going into your brain, 
Um, how long is it going to stay there? Is it going to leave any residues behind while it's there? Nah. Is it going to disrupt any of your neuron patterns? Um, you know, those are all things that could possibly go wrong while it's in there. Not to mention, uh, if these are radio devices or Bluetooth devices, uh, what's to stop other signals getting to this device that's in your brain? Right. Or other people receiving the signal that's coming from your brain. Um, and then that leads to a whole other set of concerns. You know, what are people doing with that data? What could people send to your brain? Yes. Um, and that's just assuming that the intentions as stated are true. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are other things that other concerns that I think you could look at further down the line, uh, that are more of a, like an ethical concern. Like what if, humans and computers did start communicating in a meaningful way. Right. You know, what would that be changing you as a person? What would that look like? Who yeah. would you be? If who, ah, who would you be? Who are you? Yes. Great question to ask. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, so Elon Musk is someone who is very cautious around the concept of artificial intelligence. You know, he's very worried um, about this. And I mean, that's one of the few areas where I will be in agreement with him. Um, yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried about that too. Uh, in, in this article we were just referencing towards the end, it said that part of the reason Musk developed Neuralink was so that humans and computers could begin working together before this, uh, what he seems to think is an inevitable future in which um, AI tries to dominate and suppress humanity. Yeah, see, this is where and, and this is where I think he's wrong. And you can see in his you can see his flawed logic on display. Fortunately, he's like a celebrity, which that should be seen as a problem in and of itself for someone who wants to be directly in our brains. But um, he like he's come out and said, he says, well, all you have to do is look at how gaming graphics have, you know, increased exponentially. Uh, you know, since, since the Atari, you know, uh, whatever, 2600 came out. Right. And I get his point, but he's assuming that there isn't an upper limit. And in fact, I mean, just to speak directly to that point, the leaps that he's describing, the great leaps that most people think of, especially when it comes to gaming graphics, if you want to use that as the analogy and the example, um, really only happened over seven years. And then they really plateaued. Like, yeah, sure. You went from the Super Nintendo to the Dreamcast inside of seven years. And that is a quantum leap. No questions there. But before and after, it was a very slow process. And there were not the dramatic increases and dramatic leaps in graphical power. And I and mean, that's how most scientific developments happen. Yeah. There's like that one big leap, right? That takes mm -hmm. you, you know, from, from A to D and without, with, by, and skips maybe B, C, and D, or at least gets past them very quickly. Um, but that doesn't mean that you'll ever get to Z, right? If you want to follow with that, that path, like there's no, there's, there is no guarantee that going A, B, C, D is going to lead you to M even, right? Like there, you don't even know if M exists. And, and so that, that's, that's, that is a massive flaw in a lot of these guys thinking is that they're like, well, yeah, there's just no stopping 
the the you know computational power. It's like no, there actually is. It's called the laws of thermodynamics, but okay. Um, you know, I mean, I, I just think that's a massive flaw in their thinking. And so he's big into what, you know, if we want to toss out another term, which is IA, which is literally the reverse of artificial intelligence. It's intelligence augmentation, meaning that you're augmenting the human, the human brain. Now, I mean, and we, you and I kind of hinted at this earlier. I mean, it's interesting that, well, you know, you tried to inject shit into the human brain and boy, the brain doesn't seem to like that. You know, maybe that's the human body telling you don't do it. Right. Well, I mean, we can just take a signal. We can take the signals that our body is giving us about the brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's encased in a very hard, thick shell of bone. Right. It's encased inside of that and in several layers of tissue and and fluid, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's really well protected. Right. Like maybe the most protected part of our body. But yeah. We're not supposed to tamper with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we don't, I mean, this is, the, to me, this is kind of the, the and, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. This is kind of the damning thing of it all. We so little understand the human brain. Oh, absolutely. To say not, we're not even talking about consciousness. Consciousness is a whole other hard problem, right? as it always gets called mm -hmm. the human brain alone, the brain, you don't, you don't have to talk about souls, consciousness and intelligence, anything like that. The human brain itself, we have so little fucking understanding of, of how that does what it does or what it's even doing. Yeah. To go all jack we can really in, baby? say is that our, our brains are very plastic. You know, right. they can, they can change and adapt, but, uh, and we think we understand which regions control what, mm -hmm. but that can change over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, so, so wouldn't you see that as a very cautionary concept, cautionary tale in, in, in doing, in even doing this? Yeah. I mean, you can have a tiny portion of your brain removed and depending on what part that is, you could lose your ability to see or hear or feel emotion or mm -hmm. remember things. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, you know, there, there are procedures that can be done on the brain safely where, you might destroy a small number of neurons, but you're still pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. uh, but to have something permanently implanted that's constantly sending out and receiving information, I I don't know what that is going to do to the brain. I don't know that anybody knows. Well, it's I mean here and here's the thing too, right? So so that's kind of I, I imagine that and and certainly there have been some suggestion around the 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 hype around Neuralink over the past couple of years. Um, we can't, and, and we have an abundance of research to suggest this. Uh, we can't handle the amount of information we take in with our fucking eyes and ears every day. Yeah. I mean, most of it today. is forgotten. Right. Immediately. Right. Right. Like, I, I mean, you know, just walk up to somebody. It's like, Hey, do you remember that? Do you remember that post you did on social media five minutes ago? I guarantee you they completely forgot. Well, there are great videos on the, the internet that express this all the, they're like everywhere. You mm -hmm. can find them all over the place. Um, you know, the video of like, you're watching people play basketball, but did you see the gorilla in the background? And it's like, oh shit, no, I didn't actually see right. that. They play the video over again and it's clearly a gorilla in the background. Yeah. You know, like there is so much information you're taking in at any given point in time, but you don't, you only remember like a couple percent of it. Yeah. Now, intelligence augmentation, something like Neuralink is supposed to help us retain or access that information, you know, as as needed. Right. So it's supposed to it, I mean, that's part of the selling point is it's supposed to help us out with that sort of thing. But again, we 
like our ability to react. We can't even act and react fast enough to the amount of information that, uh, you know, gets presented to us, especially today, you know, which is why everybody has having issues with attention focus, you know, and so on. Um, I mean, like, what are you trying to solve? You know, like, I, I mean, well, that, maybe that's what they're trying to solve. And honestly, this is something that I've desired since I started reading Isaac Asimov when I was 15, uh-huh. uh, which is like some sort of way to expand my memory. You know, if I could have like a, a memory card that I could insert into my brain and just keep information stored there. Mm-hmm. I I always felt like that would be really helpful because sometimes I forget things that I really don't want to forget. Right. Um, I don't know how I'd feel about that now, but like at the time it seemed like a good idea. Uh, but, but maybe that's what he's trying to solve is just that inability to process all of that information yeah. to give the human brain more processing space or power. Yeah. And I, and I could hear that, right. The, the problem there is, is that I feel like people are just going to go into fucking convulsions because again, it's one thing to have access to it. It's another thing that once you do, you know, like, like, can your body even handle like that amount of info? And we don't know. And I'm not saying the human brain isn't capable of doing that. I'm not even saying that the human brain, I mean, you have people with what, what do you call it? Eidetic memories, right? Or, yeah. you know, photographic uh, uh, memories. That's what, that's the old term for it. Um, I know that's a thing. And I know humans can be capable of that. Okay. The part of the issue here is that I feel like this is a Royal road. It's a, it's a bypass. Um, I mean, something that I'm a big fan of, uh, that I'll probably be researching my entire life is like Korzybski's general semantics. Okay. And this gets into controlling your, your brain and body. And of course they would say that there is, they're not different. Like they're one in the same mind body. Like it is one word. It is one term. Um, that you can control it to such a fine point, you know, to where you can do just about anything. But that's something that takes years of training and understanding of processes. In fact, processes that we don't fully understand yet. And that's part of the purpose of like engaging in, in learning about general semantics is so that you can get your brain to, you know, to where we can kind of figure this stuff out. And I get that, you know, I mean, Musk wants to go into outer space. And so he's hoping, okay, if we make human brains better and we connect them to computers and we have this, this synergy, we can figure out, warp drive, or we can figure out how to get to space, you know, in a more efficient way and, and all of this, but all of that really just, it absolutely feels like a bypass. Like, I'm not saying those things aren't possible, but those are things that are generally hard won. And this seems like a cheat and it's cheat. That's very much a gamble. It's a gamble because again, we don't even understand how our own bodies really work anyway. And this, this bothers the fuck out of me. Uh, you know, you, you, you raised a point, uh, it kind of got me thinking while you were talking. Um, I wonder, because when when people have thoughts, there, there are certain series of neurons that mm-hmm. fire. Um, and it happens every time you have the same thought or memory, is a series of neurons firing. Um, and I, maybe you could explain this more, but I don't know how that would translate to the way that like memory is read in a hard drive of some kind, or if those would be even compatible, like could a computer and a human share and exchange information 
mm-hmm. in a way that each could understand. Because if there's not, you would have to build some sort of interface to yes. translate those those electrical signals. Yeah, I think this is eventually, and I'm glad you brought this up because I think this is eventually going to lead to where, yeah, you have to have some kind of. There has to be an interface. Basically, you're saying you, there has to be some kind of representation of the data. Yeah, there has to be a way to convert the data from, uh, you know, like information on a hard drive to information that your brain can process. Right. So now, so you have, and I want, and I do want to get into this. You have, uh, there's the company um, Kernel, okay, by Brian Johnson, which is kind of a competitor for Neuralink. I like Kernel better. Because Kernel's goal is what we're developing for intelligence augmentation has to be instantly removable. It's not something that requires surgery. We don't want to put chips in people's heads. I mean, as soon as Brian Johnson said that, I was like, ah, sold. Like, I I am intrigued by what you are trying to do. You know, make it something that's not invasive, that doesn't fuck with my body. Great. Okay. So with that, he's developed, they're to the point that they've developed a helmet that can do somewhat similar to what, what Neuralink did with those pigs. And this helmet can read your, your brainwaves effectively to where they know what song you're listening to. They've done that. Um, like they, they know you're listening to, I, I forget who's Ico or Ikeo. I, I don't know. This, this guy's is, I, I'm sure I have him on Plex, but I, I don't know, you know, whatever his music is, but anyway, they were able to identify the song that you were listening to. Okay. Um, with, with this helmet that, that, that Colonel has, has developed. And, you know, they've been working on this for at least four years or so. Um, that's really interesting, but can they send a song to direct to your brain? Yeah. That other way around, I think this is where Silicon Valley, because I, uh, these companies work together in my, I don't think that's just opinion. These companies work together. They're right next door to each other, almost literally in many ways. Um, I think this is where you're getting like contact lenses with AR is become are becoming a thing where the computer could get, you know, feed you the information quickly um, or where you have like AirPods, right. Where you have a, you know, an earpiece that, which Microsoft is pushing those now. Uh, Apple obviously has been, you know, it looks like jizz coming out of your uh, Apple's been pushing them for years now where, you know, yeah. Like you get the, the audio, you know, so right they in of can't send it direct to your brain, but they can send it to your organs, which then uh, convey the signal to your brain. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Right. I'm I'm guessing that that's the idea right now is that at the very least, the computer can read what you're doing. You can't really like receive a direct signal from the computer unless I, I mean, like somehow it either has to be visual or auditory. So they're still using your organs as a way to translate the signal. Yeah. To yeah. You. Uh, Wow, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I just like unless that can happen where the computer can send things direct to your brain. I, I don't know that it's really going to be possible for humans and computers to interact in this uh, intimate way that like Elon Musk is foreseeing in the sci fi future. Um, yeah. And maybe that's for the best, you know, because. I, I think what you said earlier is, is certainly possible that like there's going to be an overwhelm of information in the brain and that it's not going to be able to function like it's just going to be too much mm-hmm. uh, and and people might have seizures or something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's still useful. Like, so Brian Johnson of Colonel like sent out uh, in a newsletter and a great sovereign tech listener actually shared some of this with me, you know, where it's useful to still for a computer to, for, even if it is some, a little bit of a one-way street. Um, I mean, you could send, well, anyway, even though the computer is the only thing that can read what's going on, um, you know, the idea that like, say you're going to the doctor and the doctor asks you, you know, how do you, how does your heart feel? Like if you can read neurons, you know, and brainwaves basically to the degree where you can read, like is a person, you know, we don't have to deal with in triage where, okay, look at the smiley faces. Are you one or 10, you know, 10 being a whole ass ton of pain. You're going to know, right. Based on how like the brainwaves firing and a computer will be able to tell, or maybe with like with the helmet that that Colonel's doing, there's a degree of telepathy there, right? Where where perhaps the helmet could send to you the feeling, you know, even though you can't directly. Again, it is somewhat of a one way street. Okay, right? but how horrifying is that? Well, I don't I, want to be sent feelings no, by I, computer. I, well, this gets me? into telepathy. I mean, that's a huge. But but that's that's a place that that Colonel is thinking about going. I mean, basically, if if with what Colonel has right now, if I was wearing a helmet, you were wearing a helmet. I could effectively be told by a computer, and and this is just one example, what song you're listening to, it would be able to feed to me the song that you're listening to, right? Because, you know, through an auditory, you know, uh, 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 device of some kind would be able to tell me what song you're listening to. So, I mean, to some degree there, that's not exactly telepathy, but something along those lines is going on. And I, I agree. I mean, there, there's a huge problem there as well. Um, I mean, how do you feel about, well, let me ask you, let me ask you that. Like, how do you feel about, and if someone, all right, real quick, if somebody knows that, oh no, no, we're going to, this is going to be a two way street. You're going to be able to receive information directly into your brain from, uh, you know, from the computer, you know, which that is the goal. But like, if someone's already pulling that off, please let, let us know. Like, and, and I just don't know yeah. about it. Like, please email me questions at sovereigntech.com and I, I'd love to I'd, I'd love to hear about yeah, this. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. Okay, how that's happening. And we'll have Ellen on again and we'll and we'll you know certainly we'll talk about it. Um but anyway, how do you feel about I mean is this like a little more palatable? Because they 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 are going for the two-way street. That's clearly the goal. Is it a little more palatable when it's something that you can remove instantly, like just a helmet? Oh of course. I mean <laughs> One of my other concerns with Neuralink is, you know, what if it does start to malfunction? You can't just take it off. You mm -hmm. have to go back into surgery, which is done, ironically, by a robot. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and have the thing removed. And then, you know, your skull repaired and you have a permanent scar, uh, albeit it's on your skull and people might not see it, mm -hmm. but it's still there. Um, but with a helmet, yeah, that's that's much more palatable because it is... So easy. If something goes wrong, you can just take it off. Um, right. I I still don't know how I'd feel about that. Like if they started using something like this in a doctor's office where instead of asking you like, you know, what's your drug history? What's your family's medical history? Stuff like that. Um, you know, I have thoughts while I'm answering these questions that I don't necessarily want recorded. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a major issue. Because, uh, you know, you ask me about my family's medical history and I'm going to think about, you know, my alcoholic so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Those aren't good memories, you know? I don't want yeah. just, like, very personal information. Um, you know, there, there might be other 
details in there that it's just you think them you can't exactly control the the thoughts that come up when you're you know answering these questions um and and that's the kind of stuff that i worry about is like you know these uncontrollable thoughts that happen in a flash as right. you're thinking about an answer to something um you can't stop those from being broadcast if you're wearing a device like this. Yeah. And I, and, and, and again, I, I know I keep saying like, I think this guy's on the level. I mean, Brian Johnson, like in his own words says, you know, maybe as we explore this technology, we realize we have to go back and revisit first principles. Those are his words. We have to go back and re revisit first principles of what it means to even be human. Wow. That's amazing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Musk isn't saying that shit. And I mean, because that is, that is exactly like, well, it's like, wow, we've got some godlike power here. We got to, we got to slow down and talk about this now. I mean, and what he's doing with that helmet, he's, he's making the case right now. I think that, well, this is allowing us to explore how the brain works. Okay. There, there's a valid argument for that, right? Like, yes, let's figure out how this shit works, you know? And if you got volunteers, human volunteers, which is exactly all he needs, cause he's just putting a helmet on granted. I mean, maybe the helmet could do something bad. I don't know. Um, yeah, but, human but that's volunteers a little more on. like it, just having human volunteers mm -hmm. to, to test this stuff out that automatically, I think, improves any argument for like a technology being ethical. Right. Solves a lot of issues. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, because, you know, I have concerns and I don't know if I brought them up. But are you familiar with, um, this is back in the 60s, like in 65, it was Dr. Jose Delgado. Are you familiar with this? You probably are. The bull. Do you know about the bull? No, I don't think I okay. do. Okay. So this guy, Dr. Jose Delgado, put in a, um, I forget, he has a, he has a term for it. it, begins with an S. I can't think of it. He put basically like like an uh, something that an electrostimul an electrical stimulator inside the brain of a bull and it is a, a stimulator that could receive radio signals so he had a radio remote and he has this matador you know entice the bull toro the whole thing bull starts charging ready to go dr delgado hits the button stop on the radio receiver Electrical signals get stimulated in the bull's brain. Boom. Bull stops. Doesn't even get near the guy. Bull just instantly stops. Controls him. Controls the bull. He can just make it stop whenever he, he wants yep. to? Absolutely. And I mean, and, and like electrical stimulators, like this is stuff that's used in, in medical and being explored, not for, you know, brain computer interfaces, but this is stuff being explored today. Like how can you, uh, you know, stimulate, um, like say people who have uh, like Parkinson's, right. You know, we're like sure. with the shaking and everything. How can we stimulate the brain to stop that shaking? You know, the problem is, is we know there's a whole shit ton of things that you can also stimulate or what's I want to say, destimulate, desensitize or whatever. No, I want to say destimulate. I don't think that's a word, but regardless, um, th this gets into very, very strange areas. And I think this is just, unfortunately, this is still also kind of possible with, I mean, the helmet is supposed to just be reading what the brain does, not necessarily stimulating it, but. The end goal is to have it do the other as well to do the stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't see where Neuralink wouldn't also be potentially like, a, you know, an electrical stimulator. And for that to be controlled wirelessly, 
Um, and especially early stages when perhaps we can't so well know what the computer's doing, but the computer knows what we're doing. That's a one way street of control. Mm-hmm. That's, yes. And that, that's, that, that is a, a massive, massive issue. So this isn't science fiction. We know this is possible. You can control creatures, perhaps even humans. And, oh, actually we know you can. I mean, like you you can get, you, you can, uh, uh, create a state of hypersexualization. Uh, in people with electrical stimulators. I mean, like you can do all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah, this is not okay. (laughs) There are treatments for people who have things like seizures, you know, you can have implants that deliver tiny electrical signals. Right. um, That, that can help treat certain conditions like that. Right. So while I get it, that the claim is they're trying to do something different. um, Not exactly. Because also it's already, you know, I, I think Musk even said in that presentation that he's looking to use Neuralink to try and solve, um, like spinal cord issues. He said he was confident that soon Neuralink will be able to deliver functionality back to people who are paralyzed. For that's example, a, that's electrical stimulation like that. And, and that, that, that's, that's mind control. <laughs> well, and, yeah, in the most literal sense, I suppose it is. Yeah. But it's for a good cause. Well, I, and I get that, but man, does that make me nervous? You, you yeah, know, I agree. I definitely agree. And, and I'm not going to, you know what, if somebody wants to, am I going to stop somebody from wanting to get the shit installed so that they could walk again or something like that? I'm not going to stop anybody. You know, I just wish that there was a solution for that besides Neuralink that would just connect directly like your spinal cord to the part that's not receiving signal anymore. Yeah. Like give me something that doesn't connect to the internet. Is that exactly. all right? You know, like, yeah. like the, then, then we're good. If it's, if it's a local area network and I'm in control of that fucking network and it's open source. Okay. <laughs> but this is Bluetooth radio. Like yeah. the, the signals could be coming from anywhere. Right. Right. And, and if somebody says, well, I, I mean, Musk doesn't, you know, he's, he's a, maybe he's even libertarian. He's, you know, he's concerned about human freedom. He wouldn't track all of that data. He wouldn't track what you're doing. No, he does that with every fucking Tesla. He knows exactly where every Tesla is at every, any given second, how fast it's going, what it's doing, etc. That data is stuff that he collects. And I understand that that data is important for him to build a better Tesla. I get that that's part of the argument. And I get that that would probably be part of the argument for, you know, jacking the shit into a human or, you know, drilling this into a human being's head or whatever other part of the body. Okay. Um, but he's still doing it and you never, it's one of the oldest sayings in the book, folks, you never hand somebody a gun unless you know where they're going to point it. And that's my problem. Uh, or also, you know, you never even like create the gun in my yeah, opinion, maybe you, the gun is the problem. Don't ever create the gun. If you don't know who's going to hold it, you know, and, and that's a major issue as well. It's like, Oh, you think Musk is a nice guy? Great. Who's going to be in charge of Neuralink next year? Are we kidding ourselves? Are guns even a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I just, I see so many issues with this and, and, and he's not willing to address any of the fears. And it's strange that he's not willing to address a lot of the fears, considering that he has no problem going to bat against artificial intelligence, which, Hey, I am with him on, you know, I mean, also I'm the kind of person who says, yeah, AI not happening. Uh, not, not strong AI, not, not, you know, or not what AGI, right. Artificial general intelligence, 
Like, I, I just don't think that that's, that's ever going to hit the books because we've been getting told for just far too long that that's a thing or that it's going to be a thing. I mean, in the 60s, they were telling us, oh, yeah, we're going to have it in the next 10 years. It's 2020. Where is it? You know, unless it already exists and it just doesn't tell us. Uh, I suppose I'm open to that part of it. But anyway, my point being is that you tell me who you would trust with putting a chip in your brain. You show me the name of the person who you trust with that. And I, I mean, just ask the question that way. And I don't think anybody would ever come out with anything. I, like, I don't think there's a single name that anybody would write down, but ultimately it does come down to, you have to trust this person with this ability. And do you think that the abilities you'd gain from having that chip in your brain are worth the risks? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing. Again, this feels like, this feels like a shortcut. It feels like a bypass. We don't even know what the brain is really capable of, but we're not even bothering to explore it further naturally. What the brain can naturally, how far you can take it, right? Yeah, you really have to live in a way that encourages yourself to reach your full potential. But, like, we don't know what the full potential is of the brain. We just have to try and encourage its potential and, and push the limits. Right, right. But we're not even willing to go there, you know? Um, instead we're just like, well, no, we, here, we can fix it. We're just going to put a chip in your head. It'll be fine. And it's like, no, 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 no. How about, why don't, why don't we try the natural process first? And that way we even have an understanding of how all this works. It's just bad all around. I mean, I think that's, that's the point we're going to keep making. I mean, what, what other thoughts do you have on this? Yeah. Argument? It's kind of like the argument of, um, you know, like, do you want to take the diet pills to get healthy or do you want to actually have a good diet oh, and work out? Well done. Well done. Yes. Right. Again, yeah, that's the thing is that people want the cheat. They want the cheat. And maybe that's it. Maybe Elon Musk is a fucking moron and he's just so pissed off that he's not Nikola Tesla, you know, that he's not an actual genius that like, say a hundred years ago came up with everything <laughs> that he's copying that he's like, no, I'm going to force, I'm going to sell people. They're going to buy into, you know, I mean, the guy's like the fucking, like, like Edward Nigma from Batman forever. He's, he's like going <laughs> to... I feel like he's just, he's he's really sold this idea of what Neuralink is going to be, mm -hmm. but he just doesn't have that technology yet. So he's got to do whatever he can to stall people. It's another Theranos. Yeah, exactly. It's another Theranos. He, he I'll say it. He's a fucking Elizabeth Holmes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, great. He can come up with Tesla again. People are like, yeah, but he invented Tesla. Yeah, but he invented rocketry. No, he didn't invent any of that. Electric cars are a hundred years old. That rocketry, no rocket's been made better than what Herman Oberth came up with, you know, or even Werner von Braun. I mean, those guys developed the most powerful rockets. Anything that, I mean, great, great that he has an automatic lander or whatever the fuck, you know, going at that these guys that Bezos and him are coming up with and all this stuff. Dynamite, and I'm not going to say that those aren't engineering feats. They are, but your rockets are are your rockets are civics to scientists from the sixties to their Corvettes. I mean, I mean like they're, 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 they're just not even close. And anyway, sorry, I'm getting on a tangent. I get so mad and it's not that I'm against them trying, go ahead and try. I just get tired of people giving like such lavish praise and, and, you know, just like throwing, throwing palm leaves in front of all these idiots who give no credit to the people that really came up with this technology and who, I mean, act like prima donnas 
And it just drives me nuts. And and also they have no uh, most. I mean, Brian Johnson excluded with with Colonel. I think he's on the right track. But they just they they seem to give no care for human beings. Ultimately, you know. I mean, I just don't see it. Or they're they're not willing to really explore the human condition. Yeah, and maybe it's people like that that are eventually going to develop the AI that will take over humanity, and that's why Elon Musk is so terrified of that future. Because he knows that if he were capable of creating that sort of AI, there's nothing that would stop him from doing it. Yeah, yeah. Or it'd be so funny if the AI finally came out and we asked, it's like, what, 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 why did you finally reveal yourself? And the artificial intelligence says somebody had to stop Elon Musk before he wiped out humanity. I'm going to lose advertisers over this probably because for some, whatever fucking reason, everybody loves Elon Musk. And, and I, I think, I mean, oh no, 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 no. And Neuralink, I don't see anything hopeful. I don't see any good ideas here. I look at Colonel and I'm like, yeah, there you go. There's the right direction. I mean, and, and just the remarkable, the remarkable thing that there is a, a CEO who is saying, hey, we need to explore what it means to be human in the first place before we go too far with this or before, you know, we, and man, that, that humility. That's beautiful. Yes. There's not another asshat in Silicon Valley. I think that would even dream of even uttering the phrase first principles. And until I hear that from somebody, what's, you know, I just, I feel like Emperor Commodus, bad example, but I feel like Emperor Commodus, you know, and I'm just, you, you bring your technology before me and I'm just going to turn my thumb slowly down. You know, it's like, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not interested at all, uh, you know, until you're willing to explore uh, what we are first, you know. Um, anyway, do, do you have anything else you want to say on this or we can get on to some other subjects? I, I think I think we've just about covered this one for now. Yeah, uh, it's taken up so much of the show and we still have more stories to cover. We had other stories we want to get into. All right. We, we got to get into some stuff. Let's take a little break. Maybe we'll get into a listener uh, 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 question comment here, and then uh, then we got to talk about we got to talk about a real genius, who the movie. Uh, <laughs> we'll be right back with more sovereignty. Journey into the far reaches of aqua space. From Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. Your questions, the man of tomorrow's answers. Email questions at sovereigntech.com. Time for important messages. All right. Changing the subject, kind of, because. At the same time, I feel like this is going to be a bit of a contradiction, but I'll explain myself. 
Um, we got uh, this. This was actually sent to me in a DM on Twitter, and this was such a great, uh, such an intelligent response to. It was the episode Chickenosaurus, which I think was the last one you were on, Ellen. Yeah. Um, and we we had we kind of got into a conversation, and I think I sort of started it. I don't know how we ended, how we got into it exactly. About how I made the claim, and I'm not the only one to have made this claim, but I made the claim that you know there's really no such thing as humanity. Um, like. You have individuals and actually there's no such thing as like species or genus. Like there, there are things that are compatible with each other to where that they can reproduce, you know? Um, and you brought up that that was like basically your definition of species, uh, more or less. Yeah. It's, it's basically the traditional scientific approach that like, uh, you know, genus and species are, uh, animals that are really highly related to each other in, mm-hmm. a, in such a way that they can reproduce and have children that are viable that can also reproduce. Right. Um, but I also want to recognize that these are just scientific tools, you know, like the classification of animals, the taxonomy. That's all just a construction to help us think about the world in a way that makes sense. This is, you know, I, I, I want to make like a list of there are concepts, there are things that are treated like axioms, I think, by most people, that we forget that they are just concepts or methods. Right. These aren't like the laws of thermodynamics, which are actually laws that can't be violated. Right. <laughs> These are, are just tools. Yeah. So that yeah. are true most of the time. Yeah. Science is a tool. Science is a method, right? Like I said that earlier. It's a, it's the scientific method. And you have people who debate at times, uh, you know, wait, is science the best method for understanding something? Because maybe their claim would be there's points or there's aspects to existence that no, it's not the best method for understanding something. And I'm now I, you know, stand by the scientific method and it's what I use, you know, to engage the world. Right. Um, and to, to, to provide proof and get to what I, you know, conceive as truths. Um, but I recognize that at the same time, it, is, it really is important to remember it is a method, right? And in fact, arguably, uh, it's a new one, you know, or like it, it, it's, it's how it's written out and understood generally and executed. You know, Francis Bacon, right, is generally credited with scientific method. I mean, granted, science was done long before that. It was done in Alexandria. It was done even in Egypt. It was, I mean, it was done all over the place, uh, even if it wasn't explicitly laid out. But it is a method, right? Do, do you have a comment to that? Yeah, that's true. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So, so I get, those are just tools, like those classification tools, the species and genus, they're just tools. Um, so I made the point that, I mean, and this is true for humans. It's true for grains of sand. Like we're all ultimately so different. We really, you know, if we were to classify everything, everything would have a different name. Right. Um, but we can't engage the world that way because, then we would just be walking around. We wouldn't even think because we'd just be walking around giving everything a new name. Um, so, so, so that's an issue. That's why we work off of generalizations or generic uh, uh, attributes that are shared or genus, right? Or rules that, you know, can be bent sometimes that have exceptions. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So 
anyway, so this is a conversation we got into. We brought up, I brought up ligers. I think I asked you, like, wait, can ligers reproduce, you know, and all this? Yeah, I think this is in context of, like, can we get dinosaurs to reproduce now if we had the right. DNA? So I want to, I want, so this is a follow up. You can go listen to it. It's episode 385. It's just a few episodes ago. Chickenosaurus. This is a follow up to that conversation, but we kind of, kind of recapped it here, but let, let me bring it up. Uh, here it is from the, uh, from the listener. Um, in episode 385, Chickenosaurus, the explanation of species that Ellen gave fit what I was taught in public school, but the truth is more complex. The fertility of ligers and tigons uh, seems to follow uh, Haldane's rule as the homogematic? Gamatic? Uh, I think the root word there is gamete. So. Oh, okay. Homogametic? All right. Sure. Homogametic sex. It's great. Um, uh, you know, XX females is in the chromosomes, uh, like in most mammals is fertile and viable while the, uh, heterozygous. Okay. Uh, <laughs> these are words that I, that I read and like haven't, have, have, you know, never pronounced, like never said them out loud. Uh, heterozygous, uh, CXY, uh, sex or hetero, heterozygous sex, XY males are probably infertile. We know for a fact that both female ligers and tigonesses have given birth to cubs whose fathers were lions and whose fathers were tigers. It is still believed that male ligers and tigons are infertile, but there have not been many attempts to breed them, so it cannot be proven with a high degree of certainty. Uh, these have also been or there have also been a few rare cases where female mules were able to give birth to colts sired by either a male horse or a male donkey, but it is believed that no male mule has ever gotten anyone pregnant. There are also some animals where the line between species and subspecies is very vague, as often one population can easily interbreed and produce fertile offspring with other populations that can never interbreed directly with each other. On a very different note, if we choose to use species and genus in their Aristotelian philosophical sense, then every individual human being is considered a separate species, while the human race is instead a genus. So that, that was kind of my point um, that yeah, every individual would technically be a species because we're just so wildly different and every homo sapien sapien would, that would technically, I guess, be a genus. Um, so the brilliant response to bring up um, that's very interesting. And really like, I think one of the great points that, that he brought up here is that, there's not enough like incentive to even do the research to see whether or not like a liger can or ligers can actually reproduce. Right. Um, so, so that, 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 that's an interesting thing in and of itself. Do you have any thoughts on what was said here though? Yeah, I, I really appreciate this response. Um, and I love it when, when people email in and, and say like, no, the truth is actually more complicated than uh, the way you laid it out. We have the most brilliant listeners. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the I'm not surprised by this at all. The fascinating thing about science is that nature, the natural world, has this amazing fractal quality where when is when you think you know the truth about something, you, it turns out there's actually like many other areas, many other branches of truths mm -hmm. beneath that one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's interesting that he points out that like the female ligers and tigons were able to give birth if they were if the their partner was like a male of a what we would consider a pure species right uh but the males are 
incapable of reproducing, maybe because their sperm are immobile or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's so true that there's there's not any there's so much more complication to reproduction um and and honestly like biology itself is so complicated even the people who study it don't understand it completely yeah um i also wanted to say that even in the world of taxonomy and classification mm-hmm. there are all these different levels like it's not the clear kingdom phylum class order family genus species that we've all been taught like sometimes there are like sub genres inside each of those levels, right? Because there's no clear classification, um, and I think that's fascinating, and it just shows that there's so much more for us to learn. You know, there's still mysteries in nature that we haven't figured out. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and like you know, the idea that 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 humans are a genus. It's interesting because he says this. And then, you know, just a few days ago, I was reading some some Rudolf Steiner. And before anybody like emails in and starts talking whatever about Rudolf Steiner, go ahead and email me if you want. Um, look, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, right? Um, so, you know, even when somebody might be dead wrong on certain things, like there's other points that might be absolute genius. And I would argue that Steiner was a genius. But it, it's it's interesting that he used the exact phrase human genius in something that I was reading by him uh, recently that, that really kind of blew my mind. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, here I was earlier talking about how it's so great that Brian Johnson at Colonel wants to figure out, you know, what, how do humans operate in the first place, right? Before we go down this road, you know, of, of, of reading our minds and all this other shit, Um, which I, I, I think is, is phenomenal. But then, you know, in the same breath, and this is something that I'm exploring and, and really trying to, to put together. Cause I think there, there is, there is some, there are some very important and I guess for lack of a better phrase, game trade, game changing truths to be gleaned from the idea that, you know, every individual is ultimately a completely different species. Every single individual human being is, is I mean, there, there is a generic baseline, but beyond that, partly because we can act outside of instinct, which we can, and not everything in the animal kingdom is capable of that, because we can act outside of instinct, there is something more, what Sterner, not Steiner, what Sterner would call the ineffable, that is wholly unique to every single one of us. And I, I mean, it's unique from between you and me, Ellen, I mean, like, like, you know, to the point that, I mean, we think of ourselves like we, we classify, I mean, you have these morons who classify people as like, you know, in races and say that, well, you know, this one's better than the other and all this crap. And where it's like, well, wait a minute, like, let, let, let's erase all that, you know, because again, every sort of like the, this, this messenger, you know, uh, uh, said, um, if we choose to use, you know, species and genus in their Aristotelian philosophical sense, every individual human being is considered a separate species while the human race is instead a genus. And we don't think in that way. And I get it. Like I said earlier, if we thought in the way of where we had to like basically re you know, name every person, something separate, you know, to, to like have them be scientifically classified or whatever, or feel even philosophically classified. Um, we would never be able to think because we'd be too busy just like naming everything, you know, and it just, it wouldn't work. 
But when it comes to people, mm-hmm. wouldn't it make sense to approach them that because we already approach people that way anyway. Well, when you we're approach to. <laughs> an individual, you don't look at them and say, "Oh, they're a white person. This is what they believe. This is how they behave." You get to know them. Well, that that's what we should do. But you know as well as I do, a lot of people, if not most, don't do that. Right? When they see right. a black person, they have a set they have set expectations and stereotypes and generalizations that are completely uh in my opinion like unearned ridiculous um and and if you're to be like scientific about it and actually be intellectual and reasonable about it you would not engage them in that way but go ahead yeah well i guess that's the inherent racism in a lot of yes the way people live yes. is you know carrying those assumptions around correct but i feel that it it's very similar to approaching each individual as their own species per se it's mm-hmm. just e- approaching each individual as a unique person mm-hmm. that you know you, you don't know who they are. You have right. to get to know them in order to understand them. Right. Yeah. And, and also, I just wanted to say, like, it, it's true that humans can act outside of instinct, but we still are largely ruled by instinct. And I think, like, I, I don't want to, like, say that we are so far separate from animals that we're, like, out of touch with our instincts. Oh, I think we can't flourish outside of instinct without an understanding and respect of our instincts. Uh, absolutely. You know, but I do think that we can overcome our instincts. You know, that that's like part of the power of consciousness, you know, is that we won't gnaw our hand off from the trap to get away from the trap. We'll figure out how can I detach the trap and keep my hand, you know, as to where a lot of animals will do. No, they'll just start biting their hand off. Well, the instinct beneath that is still the same. The instinct to survive, to get away. Right. But you can act beyond that. You can you can answer that instinct more cleverly, I suppose. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So but I, I think there's there's a lot to take away from that. If we stop, I mean, culture is still a thing, right? Like cultural classification is a very real thing because you do have a lot of people who buy into a certain culture. You know, they're walking around wearing American flags on their shorts or something. And and, yeah. and, and, and it's mind boggling to me, but okay. Um, and we do have a sense of, or we, and see this is, again, here I am, you know, I'm saying like we, when ultimately there is no we, like there, <laughs> it's just not. It's not there, you know, but, but we can say that, sure, we have a baseline, perhaps a generic trait of wanting to be a social, like we we want to be social. We want to connect with people or whatever. And maybe that's where, you know, or not maybe that's where cultures, I think ultimately will, will, you know, spring from. Okay. Um, But those are all things, but to say, get to the next step. Because even admitting that every individual is his own species, his or her Z's own species, okay? But, to, you know, again, to, to get to that next level of human or ne- next level of evolution, even for the individual, is to, you know, okay, what traits that I have either developed or harnessed, um, you know, bring me the most happiness, say, in life, if, if happiness is or if pleasure is the goal, right? If you're a hedonist or something like that. Um. And I, I think to get to that next level, that understanding of that we're not, you know, like this, we're one race, we're one people, we're all this crap is nonsense. That doesn't mean that we're blacks versus whites or anything like that. No. And it doesn't have to be versus either. 
you know, because I agree with Dorian Sagan, you know, life flourishes through networking, not combat. Um, so it doesn't have to be versus. So but, we can all still care about each other. Sure. Just like, you know, PETA can give a shit about a pig. Just like Elon Musk could, uh, you know, if he wanted, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we can still care about one another. But this understanding that, uh, I, I, boy, I don't want to go too far with this because it's it's a huge subject. Um, but basically, I think when you when we look at each other as individuals, look as all, look at all life individually, or at the very least, I mean, I get it. We can't, we wouldn't even be able to process thoughts. We wouldn't even be able to think if we, you know, we, we, we didn't generalize to some degree, but ultimately we should always keep in mind, in my opinion, we should always keep in mind that everybody, like everything is literally different from the other. Like this idea of species, you know, is an individualistic concept if we're to take it, you know, in more of a philosophical sense. And then we can remove the baggage because then suddenly, no, you are not, you know, whoever, uh, little Johnny, you are not responsible for 5,000 years of destructive history, you know, between the human genus say. Uh, you know, a uh, 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 little, little Heidi, I don't know. You are not, you do not have to be whatever, you know, because culture, et cetera, says so, or because, you know, you're told, well, this is what women do and this is women's biology or whatever. No, you are something beyond that. And, you know, to get, I just think it could be so freeing if we could just drop all of this baggage that we constantly think about uh, belongs to us because of, Humans, you know, being human, being uh, uh, because of society, because of so much, you know, being culture, whatever. Yeah, it's the only way that I can really feel good about traveling to other countries. Otherwise, I would be so ashamed to be an American. Right. Yeah. No, hell, don't put that label on me. It's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but but it's where you live. But so what? What? I mean, what choice did I fucking have in that? Like, what? Yeah, I don't want to be associated with, like, the mother of all bombs or, or... Donald Trump or McDonald's, you yeah, know, it, like none of that. Right. Right. And I mean, and this gets into it, you know, obviously into a huge anarchist conversation around, you know, borders and all this other crap too. But, but ultimately I think we would do very well if we realized again, I get it. We can't think this way all the time, but if we realized ultimately that none of the baggage around what we consider to be, I mean, yes, there are generic traits that are shared that get passed down through DNA and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, but even a lot of that, we don't understand. That's the whole conversation we've been fucking having is that we don't understand how the human brains work in the first place. But what we do understand certainly is that each individual is something completely unique in the universe, absolutely unique in the universe. And you do not have to apply the trappings of human civilization, history, and everything else to them. They can be something if I'm to be poetic, so much more. Yeah, and maybe it is the only real way to experience freedom in your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I loved what this listener had to say. Great, great points to bring up. And also, I mean, even just, uh, 
I loved, you know, saying, well, even like that, that science, like the incentives in science don't often explore a lot of these finer points, you know, say like between ligers and tigons, because there's just, there's no incentive to do it. Yeah, I bet uh, it's pretty expensive to house and feed those animals, you know? Yeah, right. And and to get them to breed in captivity. Yeah, where's the money in that, right? Yeah. Unless well, you can put, well, all right. It's, it's just, it's difficult. It's physically difficult. I mean, these are huge carnivores that we're right. talking about, you know? Right. Maybe, maybe if we could convince Musk to use them for the next oh, chip, you know, Neuralink yeah. experiment, then maybe we'll get some studying done on them. Mm -hmm. um, but it's only worthwhile if it makes Elon Musk, you know, if it actually makes him smart. I don't want to say smarter if it actually makes him smart. That's, you know. Yeah, let's see if we can get this Neuralink installed in Ligons and, and tig Tigers that are like made with. Ligers and Tigons, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, see what's going on in, in their brains and compare it to like normal tigers and lions and 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 you know, do some genetic sequencing and then maybe we can actually like get an animal bred that is a you know apex predator but has a chip built in to his brain. This this sounds like a movie. <laughs> Coming to a theater, or no, it won't come to theaters, but coming to a theater near you, uh, or maybe Disney Plus will charge you for a subscription fee and then tack on $30 on top for it. Ligons versus Tigers, or, or wait, no, Ligers Saigon. versus Tigons. The Saigon, the, the Saigon. cybernetic Tiger. <laughs> it's coming, folks. Uh, but I mean, it sounds like a crazy movie, but you know what? Crazy movies get made, and you're going to find out about one of them as soon as we come back with more Sovereign Tech. Woo! Hey, baby, I know, I know you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax. So, it's time for the Climax, where we get to talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. Um... I'm going to tell you a little story quick, very quick. I don't watch new movies. Like I, I, I just don't bother. And, 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 and I've brought this up before. I said this long before COVID hit um, that, you know, I'm done going to movie theaters. Like I'm just not going to do it. Uh, it just turned out that in 2020, no one can go to movie theaters. So I was kind of justified. This also led to a lot of movies getting released in uh, what would be previously unconventional ways. Uh, that maybe were meant for some kind of a theatrical release or whatever. But bottom line being, I'm just, I'm done with modern entertainment. It, it's mindless uh, most of the time. I mean, that, it's not always true. There's still some good movies that come out. I know the horror genre is in a bit of a golden age right now, and I'm glad to hear that for people that are fans of such. Um, but anyway, the only time I really encounter new movies, how I find out about them of anything of interest is, so I'm a big fan of movie soundtracks. Uh, I, I love movie soundtracks 
And I have a website that I go to to find out what the latest soundtracks are coming out and everything. And I happened to find out about this movie about Tesla. And you could see from the cover of the soundtrack that it was Ethan Hawke, who I think is a fine actor, does just fine um, in his usual roles. And uh, and it was very clear this is a movie actually about someone who's both, uh, I would dare say, a hero or certainly an inspirational figure and someone who we recognize as a absolute genius, both you and I, Ellen, that being Nikola Tesla, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, he's certainly an inspiration to me. Yeah, right on. Um, you know, certainly somebody that actually invented, innovated and had intellect, you know, unlike perhaps a lot of you know people who claim to have it today. Um, and so I was like, well, this has got to be interesting. So I go to the torrent sites and I because I'm not going to pay for a modern film. I, look, folks, don't confuse me. I have a Blu-ray collection a massive Blu-ray and DVD collection. I buy movies. I have no problem buying movies as long as I know it's a good fucking movie. Okay. Uh, so don't think that somehow Hollywood's not making money off of me. They're making plenty. All right. And as much as I may or may not like it, but uh, you know, I'm only getting what I know is solid stuff and that I want to present to you, Ellen. So <laughs> anyway, so I download Tesla and we just happen to be in a hotel and we're like, well, what are we going to do tonight? It's like, well, you know, I got some movies on the computer and that we could check out. It's like, there's one about Tesla. It's got Ethan Hawke in it and it has Kyle MacLachlan in it, who I'm a big fan of Kyle MacLachlan for both Twin Peaks and uh, for Dune. Of course, he played Paul Trades in Dune, a movie you and I both love, Ellen. Um, I was like, you know, how could we go wrong? You know, let, let, let's give it a shot, you know? And we didn't watch the trailer for this. We had no idea what this movie is about. I have seen the trailer since. I wish I had seen it previously. Did you listen to the soundtrack? No. Before watching this movie? No, no. Oh, I, I wonder if that would have given something away. It might have. It might have. <laughs> you know, uh, the thing is, is, I download so many like albums. I, I can't keep up with them to even listen to them to try. But anyway, um, so we start watching this movie and it, it's it it's very strange in its presentation right from the get go. It's not making a whole lot of sense. It opens up with some gal talking about making Google searches about Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla or whatever. But she's still dressed in period clothing. Right. But she's holding an Apple computer. And then you find out she's playing the character of, and spoiler alerts, folks, even though this really can't be spoiled because it's just a weird ass film. Uh, <laughs> she's playing the daughter of J.P. Morgan um, in, in the movie, but yet she has an Apple computer or whatever. Uh, this is a movie made in 2020. It's directed by uh, Michael L. Marietta, who I have no idea who the hell that is. Um, and he also wrote it. Uh, again, we talked about who who started and everything. And the movie's not like it's kind of jumping around when we're first watching it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Not not making a lot a lot of sense. Well, it, it does do the narrative flow of Tesla's life. Mm -hmm. At least the parts that are well documented, right, right. But there are some part. There are some scenes that are fictional that have you know like fictional elements. Yeah. So there's a point where Kyle MacLachlan is Thomas Edison is basically like uh, 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 ribbing Tesla, being played by Ethan Hawke, um, and it gets to a point where they they're they're all having ice cream during this meeting. And then it ends with Edison and Tesla, like shoving ice cream in each other's chest. And then the movie stops 
And the gal narrator comes back and says, but this never happened. And that happens a few times. And as you're watching this movie and it's going through this progression, there's a point where there's a conversation that never happened between Tesla and Edison as well. And Edison pulls out a smartphone. Again, this movie's supposed to be like playing straight laced. Drinking a Coke out of a glass bottle, which I don't think existed at the time. No. Yeah, no. And so this is an, let's just say this is an artsy fartsy film. Like this is somebody thinking that they're fucking clever. This is a movie made for a generation that cannot enjoy a linear train of thought. They can't keep up with a linear train of thought that needs a jump cut every 10 seconds to stay excited. Um, this, this film's just nuts. The movie sucked. Give, give me your, give it to me, Ellen. Like, like it's, I think elements of it, I really didn't like, but mm-hmm. overall, you know, it, it did a good job of portraying, uh, Tesla as a person and you know what his life was really like. Um, yeah, I didn't like the, the, like bringing in elements of the future to the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of supposed to be like Tesla seeing the future or like what the world would be like if if he were allowed to have his inventions, you know, widespread. Well, the trailer says that the trailer explicitly says we already live in Tesla's world. And the movie even kind of like suggests that is that we're living in Tesla's world. We just don't realize it, you know, with wireless communications and all of this other stuff. Well, even the the devices that we use i mean a lot of them pretty much everything that we have in our house is powered by ac current which is tesla's invention um well he's he built something that could um provide ac current to a really large number of people right uh, that could generate that current more efficiently i don't know that he actually invented the ac current but he certainly enabled the 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 spread of ac current Mm-hmm. The popularity of it. Yeah, the harness and spread. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he he invented plenty of other things. He had hundreds of patents. And they even make the point in the movie where, like, you know, when Marconi sent the first signal across the ocean, like, mm-hmm. he was using a bunch of Tesla's patents to do that. Right. Um, but, yeah, I just found it strange. And it really took me out of the moment. Uh, of. Uh, like the the period in the movie when you know they're like walking through a hotel and the maids are using vacuums to clean the floor. Mm-hmm. Come on, <laughs> I just want to watch a movie that's like true to form. Uh, there was this really weird scene at the end too, where oh yeah. So so one thing about Tesla is that I think is really important to understand about him as a person is that he. He was so pure, a scientist. Mm-hmm. He was completely devoted to learning and understanding how the universe works. Um, and in doing so, he kind of neglected developing his social skills. And business skills. Yes, yeah. Uh, he really lacked business skills and social skills. He was so awkward. Uh, he didn't know how to sell things. He didn't know how to talk himself up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whenever he was given an opportunity to be friends with someone or to be a lover to someone, he just turned it down in order to focus on his work. Right. Um, it, and you know, sometimes that can be harmful to people. 
Um, you know, clearly in Tesla's uh, competition with Edison, Edison won the popularity contest, even though Tesla was more brilliant and actually yeah. had more inventions and uh, more novel inventions. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tesla also was devoted to the science in such a way that he was willing to tear up his contract and not be paid for his inventions just so that they could continue making them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's important, I guess, to realize that it appears anyway, that Tesla was not interested in profit. Not at all. Uh, yeah. All he wanted was what gets my machines in the world. Right. Like what, what does that, what gets everybody using my machines? I don't care about the money, just what gets, and and maybe it's because he had the foresight that if his machines actually, or what he was inventing was actually implemented globally, you would, it'd be free. Like you wouldn't have to pay for it. Yeah. Whatever it was, which leads, I, I, I think you, you had a point you were going to, but I, I want to bring this up quickly, which bothers me about the premise of the film that we're living in Tesla's world. No, in Tesla's world, we wouldn't have a phone bill. Okay. In Tesla's world, we wouldn't have to like plug in our phones every day, you know, to charge them overnight and use them the next day. We wouldn't be reliant upon telcos and whatever other, you know, corporation. And ultimately I think that's why, you know, Tesla, a lot of his, his ideas and and his life was, has been buried. Um, Yeah. Because if we were living in Tesla's world, we would have electricity being transmitted for free across the globe through the ground, not through the air, not through space, not through wires. Successful experiments that he did in Colorado. Yeah. Um, that have never been repeated like that. No one's even tried and probably because, well, (laughs) some profit margins would get hurt. Yeah. Well that, and they, his experiments were so far removed from anything that people thought of as Mm -hmm. scientific principle that I think people just look at it as crazy. Like that's a pie in the sky sort of ideal. There's no way we're ever going to get to that. And maybe he lost his mind, and that's mm-hmm. why he was experimenting on this stuff. Mm-hmm. But, again, like, it's not been repeated. Maybe it seems crazy, but if it works, uh, you, you know, maybe he had some sort of genius insight that just no one else has been able to understand yet. Yes. If it works, why not use it? All great things that you can easily explore in a movie and make a great movie, straight-laced, mm-hmm. straight narrative about that. And you could talk about, and you could easily explore the heartbreak around Tesla's realization of that, um, or or him dealing with that. But instead, what do they do? You, were you going to talk about the microphone yeah, scene? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So, hit it. so when Tesla was telling J.P. Morgan about his idea for wireless electricity, mm-hmm. um, you know, J.P. Morgan realized that he wasn't going to be able to profit off of that, so he withdrew his investment. Right. Like he's not going to be paying Tesla to develop something that he can't make money off of. Right. Um, so they do this scene at the end where Tesla is performing on a stage with a microphone the song Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. Yes. And it happens out of nowhere. Like it's, he just starts performing. Yeah. It's really bizarre. Uh, and I love that song. Yeah, and it's a great loved, song. I love Tesla. But they do not belong together. (laughs) 
it's completely out of place. Yeah. Even in a movie that already had plenty of things out of place, it's out of place on a whole other level. Like he's not even good at singing it. No, it like, <laughs> he has no charisma. Right. Are you kidding? It's not even one of those things where like it's so bad it's funny. Yeah. No. It just doesn't work. Like and and it, it just it fails and it's it not only fails it's insulting because mm-hmm. I feel like it's ultimately making a mockery of Tesla because yeah. You know, not everything Tesla ever wrote down is a good thing. Like, I, I can admit that and right. I'm well aware. And like, especially when it comes to like matters of health and stuff. I mean, he had some really like draconian concepts. Well, he was, uh, there are signs that he was obsessive compulsive. Of course. But that's the thing is he was a very serious fucking guy. And and I, I think to to make a mockery, you know, of him with, with him performing that song. I mean, it's just, it's just weird. And it's not like... You know, and I say this with respect, he's not even like Ethan Hawke's not even performing Tesla singing it in some kind of like spectrum way. I'm going to call it spectrum. okay? because I again, I mean that with respect, like it's just it's just off. It just doesn't make any sense. It it, it's stupid. Yeah, it's not believable that Tesla would Mm -hmm. ever do anything like that. I don't see anybody walking away from this film being inspired to what did Tesla do? How can I carry on his work? How can we help, you know, bring this to light? I don't see that happening in any, any, any way at all. Uh, and, and that's a shame because that's what a great biopic should do is either give you the truth, which I don't think this really gives a truth. This doesn't, this muddles the truth more than anything because it's giving you like fake moments even, um, and it admits to it, uh, or it should inspire you, you know, and and it does neither. It just fails, in my opinion, on absolutely every level. What what do you got? Yeah, um, I think there's one of those f- fictional moments where Tesla and Edison are having a conversation, and Edison is saying, um, you know, like with his business prowess and Tesla's genius, maybe they can work together to spread AC motor AC generators. Yeah, um, and. And they're painting a picture that I think is really inspirational. Um, but but then you find out like, oh, that that conversation never happened. Right. And in fact, their their competition just grew deeper. Uh, but like it would have been amazing if that conversation did happen. Uh, I, I just don't agree with like the creative way in which they express that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I really like again, the overarching, if the overarching theme of the film is that we live in Tesla's world right now, like that is so dead wrong. That is so wildly wrong. Um, yeah. Everybody cares about profit Yeah, as it is right now. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's disgustingly dishonest, misleading. Like if this is how people are going to first experience the character of Tesla, the person, the personage of Tesla. I mean, you're doing so much more harm than good. Uh, you think so? Oh, I think so. I think so. Because who's going to, I mean, I mean, to say nothing of the fact that like somehow saying that because Edison has more Google searches or more, more Google search terms come up than say, or search results come up than does for Tesla. That doesn't mean shit. Like Google's a fucking algorithm. 
you know, like that, that means nothing. And even that is like, is, is just dumb. Like that, that's a dumb metric to use to try and improve your points about, well, because he has so many search results. Oh, he's much, must be more popular or blah, blah. That, that, that's nonsense. Um, yeah, I think this movie, because this movie is so insulting to Tesla and I think really to the viewer's intelligence, I mean, this is one of those movies clearly made to like, you know, win at Sundance or something, you know, it, it's that kind of stupid shit. Uh, yeah, more harm than good, in my opinion. Um, well, it was a low budget film. I mean, there, there were points where you could tell they were using, uh, they're being creative with the budget. Yeah. They were using these, uh, like big painted backgrounds Yeah, and they were using special lighting effects in order to make it look like there's weather happening or something. Um, or even with the, uh, the Tesla coil that he first invents, um, they don't show the lightning coming off of it. Right. They just show like blue flashing strobe lights and they kind of imply that, you know, there's, there's lightning bolts coming out of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and I get this a lot, like, cause, cause this is for a lot of people, it's one of the big mysteries in the world, which is how do bad movies get made? Like really you, you made, you made a bad movie. Don't you know you made a bad movie? Like, don't you understand this? And I get it. Like, Movies, sometimes it's cheaper to make the movie than it is to pay the licensing fees back to who you bought the license from. Okay. And so you make the movie, even if it's shit, you, you make it and you get it out there, whatever it takes. Okay. So I understand that, but, um, I, I will damn the film for being a shitty film. And, but then also like the response to that is like, well, look, they told me I had to make it. No, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to make the movie. And that's the answer is don't be a part of it. Don't fucking make it. So I'll damn anybody that makes a bad film with, with no problem because they can easily, they can do an Alan Smithy where they remove their name from it for being the the director or whatever, like, like step away. You know, I, I just, I don't buy that argument. Well, somebody has got to make it. No, they don't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> give a shit about your craft, you know? And well, anyway, what do you give this film? Well, or, or give me I, anyway, more. I think Tesla's story is so inspirational and Tesla yeah. as a person, I think, was so impressive that there's no way you can really make it a bad movie. Like creatively, yes, I think there were moments that sucked and I did mm-hmm. not like them. Uh, but I still think Tesla's story and uh, there were even details about his life that I didn't know that I learned from that this were in movie. The film. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Um so I, I still think that it was great for putting on display a person who re- really deserves more credit than he's given. And I think that's the point they were trying to make with the Google searches. But um, I'm not really sure about that. <laughs> well, what did you think? Let me ask you this. What did you think of Ethan Hawke's performance? I mean, did did you like him as Tesla? Did you? I don't know. I mean, I could imagine that that's the way Tesla was. Mm-hmm. I could really imagine that, uh, you know, a person with a sort of quiet intensity that lives in their own world. Yeah, I don't I didn't feel like he played a very magnetic character. And I feel no. like Tesla was no pun intended there uh, was very magnetic. Like you couldn't help but like, you know, I mean, you just you had to listen, even if he was soft spoken. Um, yeah. Yeah. His his eyes were, you know, very intense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I don't, 
I really don't think that he personally, and I think Ethan Hawke's a fine actor. I just, I, I don't think he delivered on this. Um, Kyle McLaughlin is, is Thomas Edison. I thought he was great. Yeah. I thought mm-hmm. he, he did. a. I mean, McLaughlin's a great actor. Uh, I, I thought he really delivered on that. Um, are you willing to giving a rating? Are you, are you willing to? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give it a, a six out of 10. Six out of 10. That's high. It is. It, again, I'm, I'm always generous with my ratings. Yeah, I'll say. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, Tesla's story, if it's being told at all, I'm always grateful for that. I, I feel like, you know, there were moments in this movie where they were showing the future where I wish they would have just been telling the truth because it takes you out of the moment. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I think overall it was a better, it was better than a bad, like, completely bad film. I mean, oh, wow. See, I, you know, you don't have to agree with me. Yeah. Like I used to think that because I remember when I went to go see Battlefield Earth, you know, the greatest movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> and we watched it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember going into that and I've told this story many times, so I'll be quick. I said, if it's a tenth of the material that's in the book, there's no way that that movie could be bad. Because Battlefield Earth is a great book, a tremendous book, even no matter who it's written by. It's a great book. Uh, but no, that movie's fucking horrible. You know, like I and and it does, it's probably a tenth of what's in the book, you know, but it's horrible. So I I can't go that distance. I under I understand where you're coming from. Like, look, it's about Tesla, so you gotta give it some points. And it might introduce people to him, and so maybe it's worthwhile for that. I get that. But it was really unnecessary to bring in the smartphones and the computers and Google and him singing at the end. That was so bad. It's a dumb film about a smart guy. I mean, I got to give it a three out of ten. Like, wow. I I mean, I think I thought it was so bad and it just justified. The the problem is, is that it should have been a movie that said, oh, yeah, see, they still make good movies now and then. No, it's a movie that just just made me double down. The hedgehog burying in the sand, you know, that no new movies are fucking crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're going to make a movie about a really brilliant, like genius person mm-hmm. who made amazing scientific discoveries, you don't need to bring in like modern pop culture. The movie writes itself. All you have to do is tell the story we know. You know, in fact, ha 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 ha. This reminds me, you know, what this movie makes me think of. We were watching uh, Deconstruction of Falling Stars, the season four finale for Babylon 5, when Delenn comes in and, you know, with all those like like those people are saying, oh, Sheridan, Delenn, they were they they're megalomaniacs. They're crazy. They yeah, didn't really change. They anything. didn't change history because right. no individuals can enact that. They're just right. a product of forces that were beyond yeah, the them. forces of history and all this crap. Yeah. And Delenn walks in and she says, like. And like the the who a woman who is just criticizing her part in history, Delenn's part in history, like suddenly he's asked her, like, oh, but we have so many questions. She's like, but you don't want to hear the answers. All you want to do is speak. You don't want to listen. And that's what I feel like is that this is a movie made by someone who just wants to speak and they fill in what they don't know with what they want to say. You know, and, that's a good point. Yeah, and, that's and, a good point. And that's such a disservice to an individual who 
absolutely did change the world individually as an individual. Sure, he worked with Westinghouse. Sure, he did all this stuff. But no, his ideas, one mind changed the universe. And he did. And this movie pulls its pants down and with no toilet paper, just shits and doesn't wipe. And, 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 and I hate it for it. And, 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 and what a shame, you know, and, and that, that, that's how I feel about it. So, <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll go for a five out of 10. How about that? <laughs> All right, good. I got you down one point. See, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can do a good Tesla film. Like the prestige isn't even like directly about Tesla, but it is 10 times the film. And David Bowie knocks it out of the fucking park playing Nikola Tesla in the movie, the prestige. And that is saying something when you are acting against, uh, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, two of the greatest actors in the past, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, David Bowie just kills it. I mean, you, that's Nikola Tesla, you know? Uh, and so granted I was comparing, and I know you don't have that as reference. No, we haven't watched that yet. Uh, but hot damn, you know, that did more for Tesla for introducing people to Tesla than this movie ever will. Um, and that movie is largely fictional. So uh, anyway, yeah, Tesla, my my recommendation is don't fucking watch it. What, what do you, what do you say? Yeah. There are better movies out there. If you want to learn about Tesla, watch a documentary or something. Yes. There are great like docudramas, like, like, you know, quasi documentaries that like even, the History Channel has done about Tesla that are far better uh, representations of where it's a mixture of like people talking about what happened and then showing, uh, you know, like a, then a representation, a dramatic representation. Yeah, at least of his they life. respect his memory. Yes, and they present him how he actually was, and they don't make him do things that I think would humiliate him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So Tesla, the 2020 biographical drama film, <laughs> all those terms being used very loosely. Uh, no, there's other things to watch. Bottom line, I, I think. Anything else you want to say, Alan? Yeah. No, you're right. It's it's just a shame what, yeah. what this movie could have been. Yeah, it could have been great. Even with a very low budget, you could have done an amazing film, in my opinion. And, and instead, they went for, I don't know, trying to get an Oscar. I don't know. So, all right. Um We've been going for two and a half hours. We got to wrap this baby up. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting late, baby. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Ellen, as always, thank you for having on. You're so brilliant. Uh, I always love what you bring to the table on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, and of course, email the show. If you have questions, questions at SovereignTech.com. Um, and, you know, if you have responses, things you want to share, maybe you watch Tesla. What did you think of it? I'll read it on the show. I'd love to know. Uh, but I'm also not going to recommend you that you go and do so. But anyway, uh, thank you so much. And of course, if you want to donate to the show, just hit up SovereignTech.com and you can find it there. Uh, we will see all of you whoo, on the other side. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech. An Osiris One production. Now go out there and make some trouble.
Testing, testing, one, two, three, woo! Le Monde Sans Soleil, legendary explorer and oceanographer Jacques Cousteau, captured the imagination of millions with his Oscar-winning documentary, World Without Sun. 